recording now? I am. All right, I'm going to do some cannoli foley. You ready? All right. Delicious sweet cream. gentlemen welcome to a special bonus edition of voices and visions and directors club in which my former podcast co-host joins me to talk horror remakes particularly two recent ones that have gotten a lot of people excited and one let's let's be clear one horror remake one horror sequel yes okay you're correct you are absolutely correct on that uh we're going to talk uh about luca guadagnino's suspiria as well as David Gordon Green's Halloween. That was wonderful pronunciation. Most people can't pronounce David Gordon Green. <laughs> and maybe we'll bring up a few more titles, you know, along the way. But first and foremost, welcome back, the one, the only Patrick Rapol. Hey, is this? Uh, we didn't. We didn't do a proper sound check, so I don't know if I'm speaking loud enough. I don't know if I'm close enough to the mic. You tell me what I need to be. Mm, I think you're good. I think you're good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, I'm here. Uh, you brought me here. I uh, did. I forced you. You called, and I, I will always say yes to your call. That's just one of the curses of being me, so here we are. I should have my own bat signal. Mm-hmm. Like a podcast The bat signal? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's even better. Justice cannot fight alone. Suit me up, Uncle Alfred. They were the era of comics that people collected a lot of and therefore you could find a lot of used copies for 50 cents so Mm -hmm. like that was a run that i was able to collect and there's a part where i think like yeah commissioner gordon he like batman appears at his window the way he does and then commissioner gordon turns around to say something and then he sees batman is still there because it's not bruce wayne and he doesn't (laughs) realize that it's like it's like oh i saw i wasn't expecting you to be there oh is that all yeah that's all (laughs) all right then Bye. <laughs> so anyway, this is Nightfall Memories. Let's talk about our favorite Batman arcs. How did how did you feel when they killed Robin? Well, I was all right with it. How did you feel when Nightwing Nightwing happened? Hmm. I'm running out of Batman material. Yeah, I'm not. I'm just. Mm-mm. I just. I just remember um, Alicia Silverstone telling. Uncle Alfred to suit her up mm-hmm. from sort of chirping, chirping yeah. that dialogue. Yeah, pretty much. She, like she was kind of just this weird chipmunk that whole movie. <laughs> uh, Sue me up, Uncle Alfred. Yeah, I, pretty I, much. I watched. I watched both those Joel Schu. You know, I'm going to say this about Joel Schumacher. He made a really fucking gay Batman movie, and holy fuck, God bless him. Never, okay, yeah, ever forget that he credit. made a gay ass Batman movie, and never forget with nipples. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You want well, it's the, I mean it's like people talk about the nipples as if it was just the nipples, but the overall suit design was more anatomical. It mm. wasn't it was meant to look more like flesh than armor. Right. So it's it's not just like fucking body armor with nipples. Like <laughs> there was abs too, you know. I'm a little disappointed there we were never pecs. did we never did Joel Schumacher. I don't know. Yeah. I I I would find his filmography frustrating and fun. 
<laughs> I love it. I love Joel Schumacher. I mean, he made a lot of bad movies, but he also made Flatliners and Falling Down. So, like, fucking A. You love Flatliners? I don't I love Flatliners, but I think Flatliners is an amazing, weird thing. Hmm. Like, that movie looks incredible. Uh, is that Was that shot by Jan de Bont? I think it might have been. It was. It was Jan de Bont. Because when I was at the Chicago International Film Festival... There are all these industry, Chicago film industry types who are like catching up and chatting and stuff. And one of them was talking about Flatliners, which was shot in Chicago. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, Jan Dubai was the DP or whatever. And there's a scene where they're driving and the, there's just all these bikes whizzing around them. And he just hired a bunch of delivery riders on their bikes to just ride past this car as fast as possible. No stuntmen. It was really <laughs> irresponsible. Like, I, I can't do a Chicago accent, so I do apologize. But he had a super thick Chicago accent. And he was just talking about nearly getting run over by a car with Julia Roberts in it. And that was... That was a good, that was a good, uh, that was a good, sometimes you hear really annoying conversations in a movie theater before the movie starts. That was mm-hmm. a good one. That was a really good one. Yeah, I, I, it, was, it was, it was great to see William Friedkin live mm-hmm. uh, pop by for the Chicago International Film Festival Boy, this year. This and he not, could talk. It's been a bit since there's been a Director's Club episode <laughs> this digressive. I know, and some people miss it, and some people are glad we're not doing it regularly. That's fine. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Can't be loved by everybody, but it was it was a it was it was a good it was a good event, and certainly you know William Friedkin was a was a hoot. And was speaking just, of Chicago filmmakers, yeah, 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 definitely, and a great one at that. Once you like the documentary about him is pretty much terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, is <laughs> just in like the way talking, that all of those? I, I don't know how many times I need to hear Quentin Tarantino praise mm-hmm. all of his movies pretty much throughout the entire thing, practically. I, I always I always think of Eli Roth in that role, but maybe that's just because I watch a lot of horror documentaries. But He's got a show out now, doesn't he? It's like a horror... Yeah. I think, uh, I, think I saw a commercial for that uh, when I was in a bar, hmm. uh, which is the only time I see commercials now. But... Um, uh, that's interesting. Tom Sharpling has a bit about like Dave Grohl just <laughs> having a bunch of different documentary crews slide in mm. and out of the same room, and he just talks about any band they want him to as being the most important rock band and being the reason Nirvana happened. Which is like, <laughs> oh, oh, the replacements. The replacements were everything. There'd be no Nirvana without the replacements. All right, we got what we need. Let's in next Rush. Oh, <laughs> Rush was everything. Rush is the greatest band ever. I wouldn't be a drummer, and there'd be no Nirvana without Rush. Like, of course. Uh, and I kind of think the same with Eli Roth and and horror is they'll just slide him in like that. He's in that Roger Corman documentary and he has nothing to add. But yeah, he was just like the hot. There's new plenty of that in the William Freakin documentary. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's just like, why, why? It would be it would be so much more interesting with the De Palma like approach, mm-hmm. you know, because William Freakin can talk. Man, that movie De Palma that really spoils you on every other fucking yeah filmmaker documentary. Absolutely. Did you see that uh, the Psycho one? What was the? Oh no, I haven't. Eleven sixty three or whatever that's called. Uh, that one is the same thing King where work. it's just like the most random assortment <clears throat> of talking heads. Where it's just like Ileana Douglas. What's Ileana Douglas doing here talking about the shower scene from Psycho? Well, she's kind of a film historian type nowadays. Where is she? she? I mean, yeah. I mean, like she hosts a podcast where she interviews a lot of people and they mostly talk old Hollywood stuff. Okay, fair enough, really fair cool. enough. Like Elijah really Wood, cool. Elijah Wood's there too, just <laughs> randomly. It's like like the best I could figure for Elijah Wood was like, oh yeah, he played a killer in Maniac, so maybe like he was inspired by Norman Bates when he was in Maniac. I don't know. But. Yeah. Anywho. We're here to talk about, we're dearly beloved, we're gathered here to talk about life. 
Yeah. Electric word life means forever and that's a mighty long time, but I'm here to tell you there's something else. The well, afterworld. There's, there's uh, certainly something else out there. Place of never-ending happiness where you can always see the sun day or night. Here's my question about <laughs> let's go crazy. Mm. You can always see the sun day or night. How does one distinguish between the two? That's a good question. Yeah, it's a great question. It is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it had been a while since you released content out into the world. You see what happens? I eat half a cannoli and then suddenly I go on a sugar <laughs> fucking rush where I'm just talking about anything but movies. Uh, but yeah, you, you put out a really great Halloween mix of your own on the Tracks of the Damned feed. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun and to make. It was, and it's great to listen to. Mm-hmm. It's too late now. It's not. Is it still out? It's still out, right? Yeah, but it's November 7th. Yeah, it's Halloween's all year round. Every day is Halloween. (laughs) Welcome to Every Day is Halloween, the ministry podcast. Now, I want to ask you, Land of Rape and Honey, best or second best ministry album? Mm, I like Psalm 69. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well. I mean, that was was when I discovered that. So, you know. But Al Jorgensen started off as a completely different artist. That, he was like, listen, I want to be Depeche Mode. And yeah, then suddenly he's like, you listen to those first two ministry albums. Yeah. You're just, it's like, there's a little bit of darkness, but it's darkness the way, like, there's a little bit of darkness in, like, Echo and the Buddy Men. It's yeah, not, totally. It's not, it's not him just screaming, the look in your I really like ministry. I sort of rediscovered ministry this year. Um, by it's rediscovered, good. I mean I had a friend in high school who liked ministry, and I was in his car once when he played it. <laughs> <laughs> so I discovered cool. ministry this year, and I, Nothing I wrong enjoyed with that. him a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Very good. Mm-hmm. So once again, um, yeah, I hope people do check out your mix over at uh, Now Playing Network. There is no ministry in my mix. No. There is, what's the closest to ministry in my mind? There's that cover of Man Behind the Mask. Yes. I think that it's, yes. it's like sort of Electro Clash. We have a little Rob Zombie in there. and Yeah, uh, yeah, Rob Zombie, I guess, is not that far off from ministry. I really like that Blob song. It's so cute. Yeah, um, Burt Bacharach. Uh, <laughs> Burt Bacharach. Burt Bacharach. Burt Bacharach is everything. <laughs> there wouldn't be ministry without Burt Bacharach. Yeah, no kidding. Thank you, Dave Grohl. Um, and uh, yeah, no, no, it was fun to put together. It's It's a lot of... Novelty songs, but also like a lot of like soundtrack cuts from horror movies, but also just a lot of clips from various things. Uh, It's a lot of Halloween ephemera. So, yeah, if you are the person who likes sort of Halloween feelings all year round, you know, like I, I it's it's everything from Vincent Price commercials for Time Life book series to like Disney records from like Disney s- spooky sound effect records from the sixties. So, uh, I, I put a lot of work into that and it was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, that's in the tracks. And the, of the, response, band the response has been very favorable and, and we really appreciate it, but you should release more episodes of your great show. You know, I point. have, I've had an episode recorded since like February. <laughs> I had the Martin episode. That's true. And I've just never released it. Hmm. Just um, keeping it, tucking it away for safekeeping. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I might just delete it. <laughs> that would be sad. <laughs> that would be in keeping with Martin, which is unavailable on home video. Hmm. I should just leave it unavailable until, that's it. I'm taking a stand. You can't hear my Martin commentary until someone releases a proper release of Martin in oh, this, in this country. Good, I like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And to celebrate its release, when it happens, hopefully it does, then you can release it then. There we go. 
What is the title of this fucking podcast? What are we actually talking about? Um, horror movies, horror remakes, horror, horror. Okay. The horror. The yeah. horror. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, Francis Ford Coppola is in a bit. Yeah. So. Yes. At one point mm-hmm. in the new Halloween film, mm-hmm. a teenager says, a couple of people murdered by some nut with a knife. That's not a big deal. Why is this remake turning out to be such a big deal? Is it? Very high grossing. Some people love it. Some Mm -hmm. people hate it. Mm -hmm. I happen to be directly in the middle, but I'd rather start with your thoughts. Um, Well, if the question, my thoughts on why is, I think, very simple, which is just, it was marketed correctly. It came out at the right time. And it is, as far as like why people, some people love it, not to necessarily diminish every single person, uh, Every single person's opinion who is, you know, super positive. The movie I do like. I think this movie's pretty good. It's one of the better Halloween sequels. That's just like there's not a lot of good ones, but I think it's yeah. I think it's pretty good. Um, but I think it's just like it's just easy to talk about. It's the sort of prestige TV version of Halloween where it's just like this is a this is a movie about blank, and you know it's about blank because we're gonna hit you over the head with the fact that it's about blank. And it's like, well, how is it about it? We say it's about it. And <laughs> like that's sort of like the way that Breaking Bad is like they say it's about an ordinary man becoming Scarface. And it's like, is it really, though? Is he an ordinary man? Is that what like the average episode is about? Or is it just like a bunch of cliffhangers and it's just this like crazy crime action movie serial where every episode you're like, oh, Howard, Walter, and Jesse going to get out of this one? Like, it's that equivalent where it's like, eh, you don't really explore PTSD that well because you have all this, like, other subplots that have nothing to do with anything. Mm-hmm. And, like, you want it to be a fucking, like, Me Too thing, but it's, like, not a good equivalent um a, a notorious murder and like sexual assault are like not comparable. The culture around sexual harassment is not at all like comparable. The way that uh, Laurie Strode deals with her problems is not that like, it's just not a good metaphor, but it's a very obvious, like it's not subtext. It's mm-hmm. just text. And so people re- will respond to that because people are going to fucking write articles and if and I think Bloomhouse, yeah. I think especially like post Get Out, like Bloomhouse is very has always been very savvy savvy about marketing and very savvy about like how to get people to be respond favorably to things that are not actually that. Like, what are the great Bloomhouse movies? Yeah, but everyone that comes out, people are like, no, it was pretty good. I kind of liked it. You I don't know? think people say that about Truth or Dare. Uh, that or Ouija, <laughs> but like generally speaking, yeah, yeah, everyone, yeah. and it's just. Because they know how to do that. And I think they just knew, like, oh, yeah, we can just – people are – like, they're, <laughs> they're going to be fucking, like, freelance writers who need something to write about this week. And we're gonna just going to hand a thesis statement in their lap. And mm-hmm. So – I was excited because it's a new David Gordon Green movie. Um, really? Even, <laughs> yeah. Still? I, I like uh, what – like, he had a run there with um, Prince Avalanche, Joe, and Manglehorn. And I liked all three of those a yeah. lot, actually. But you know, I mean, but that's like, like old school. But David none Gordon of those, like, you know, the difference between. Yeah, I know. I, like I, a David Gordon Green movie and a movie directed by David Gordon Green. I know. I wasn't expecting it to have those the elements of mm-hmm. you know all the real girls or something like that. But at the same time, I'm like, 
I want to. I'm like his cheerleader yeah. in general. I really want him to succeed, even when he doesn't succeed. He doesn't do a bad job with this movie. No. There's like, uh, like I went in, and like one of my chief fears was like, oh, it's going to be like The Sitter or something, where I just have no, <laughs> like you couldn't tell it was a David Gordon Green movie. Or even like Pineapple Express is a movie I fucking love. Like you watch it and there's like maybe a moment or two where it's like, oh, I guess a normal like director would not put that in this yeah, movie. Yeah. But for the most part, like David Gordon Green's hand is not present in that. But I thought like there's a real sense of regional specificity to this movie that's yeah, cool. I, I agree. I think uh, he, he he's he's he doesn't neglect characterization, thankfully. Yeah, like, I mean so particular he, well the problem is that the main characters get the same amount of characterization as like the character that's on screen for 30 seconds. <laughs> I but, think like kind of cool. <laughs> but all of those little characters that like are just on screen, like just like there's, there's a scene where the two podcasters, Jesus fucking Christ, two podcasters. I hate so um, much. Uh, there's when this, the, the, the note this movie starts out, I was <clears> like, Oh God, the first like 15 minutes of this movie are legitimately really bad. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the two podcasters are in like the graveyard and, this the the cemetery like caretaker is just sort of talking about like taking care of a cemetery and like what it means to people in their lives and like you know it's talking about their friend who knowing someone who runs a cemetery over in this other town in yeah. Illinois that has Bernie Mac in it muddy waters and all that and it's just like there's this like real humanity and empathy for this character that is only there so we can have a scene in front of uh judith meyer's grave and it's just like there it's a completely it's there because we just have seen judith meyer's grave mm-hmm. in so many movies that so many of these halloween movies that it's just one of those things that you check off it's and it's such a like oh wow there's a human being in this role it's very strange but then the problem is like you know the doctor who's taking care of mike by the way we, we should just say we're gonna oh yeah that's right everybody stuff. hey spoilers we haven't, so hopefully we haven't you've seen both. That, yeah, we haven't spoiled anything yet, um, but we will just go into full spoilers here. So if you're like, oh, I don't, haven't seen the new movie yet, I don't want to know what happens in it, then just, yeah, don't listen. That's fine. Um, but anyway, like, the Doctor is just the worst fucking character ever. And, like, Laurie Strode is just, like, you get the full extent of her character the first time she's on screen, and that never deepens at all. It's... Yeah, like they just have her say her character history, mm-hmm. and that's it. Um, yeah. But uh, I feel like I'm being very negative about a film that I did like a lot, and I like the parts I liked about it were just it's a the parts I, that feel like a slasher movie set on Halloween, like with the babysitter and when he's just walking around the neighborhood, like that's packed full of kids, and like he's just sort of going mad undetected because it just looks like a dude in a hol- weird Halloween costume. That that was one of the more effective parts for sure. It's like the, yeah, And that was what the trailer was built on. So I walked in kind of thinking, I mean, not that the whole movie is going to be that. Mm-hmm. Like a bunch of, you know, we're going to follow Michael Myers and see. It should have been though. Yeah. What if it was? It was so gr- what if shot- they could just like fucking kick the mythos or whatever <laughs> to the curb and like the hundred million callbacks, not just to the original film, but to all of the sequels that aren't even in canon in this universe, but they still like th- have callbacks to Halloween four and yeah, one for the like, Halloween three. There's a know. reference to like Curse of Michael Myers at one point. There's like a scene that takes place in a bathroom. There's that is basically a scene from Halloween H two O. Like 
there's a lot of fucking references. It's like, what if you didn't do that? What if you just had a scary slasher movie set on Halloween with like a decent budget behind it because you have a name that you know you can sell? Yeah. No By the way, this movie, I say decent budget. This movie was super fucking cheap. It's, yeah. I think, like $10 million or something like that. Like in true Bloomhouse fashion. They did yeah, not spend it, too much. It, and still gross and huge right now. And yeah. I don't know about a sequel. I don't know what they would do, but uh, I'm sure they would figure something out. Yeah. Especially since I thought, well, we'll get to the ending, but <laughs> I, one thing I wasn't. You, okay. I'm just going to say, you don't make this movie without first thinking, if this is a big deal, what are we going to do for a sequel? Like they have a plan. I'm sure. They might have, they probably have several plans that they can pull, you know, they, they can go in many different directions, but. Yeah, I mean... You don't literally see bo- Michael's body turning to ash, so they they already solved him getting his head cut off. They can solve this. <laughs> yeah, my memory of H2O, H2O was that the confrontation was a little bit more intense. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, it's good. I, I really like that. I really like the way it plays out. But here, I don't know. It was... It was fine. Like, I mean, just the decision... You're talking to, about all this stuff at Laurie Strutt's house? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I, I, it was a little suspenseful, mm-hmm. but not like well, to the point of uh, oh my god! Like I was wasn't ridden with anxiety because I kind of I kind of figured there'd be a confrontation in the basement of some kind, um, and then I, you mentioned in your review that it kind of goes Wes Craven. Yep. And I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like just the I mean I think just the decision to off him with fire in general. I just went really. What, okay, so I'm curious. Struck, what do you when off. I say this is this this movie goes Wes Craven? What do you think I mean? Well, I mean, I, I immediately think of setting Freddy on fire, but also I'm guessing you like the collaborative teaming up of the women on the on the murderer. I specifically mean the fact that in every Wes Craven movie, there's just a period of time where the antagonists just get their asses handed to them. And they're like complete, like at the end of Red Eye, at the end of the Scream okay, movies, yeah, at yeah, the yeah, end yeah. of A Nightmare on Elm Street, where they're setting all the traps and everything. Right, yeah. Like all, like Wes Craven's thing is, okay, we've built up this this traumatic figure, and then we're going to give you this release of yeah. tension and catharsis via just the main character fucking wrecking this person, and like it. It would be interesting if they went full born. Like, okay, the point of the audience point of view is with Michael Myers for the last 10 minutes or whatever. And it's scary because you don't know where Lori is. Mm-hmm. But they never take the point of view off of the two in the basement. And they. Right. And it's, so it's just like. That sort of undercuts that. It's just like, bit. man, Michael Myers is not frightening at all at this point because, like, she is so prepared. And, like, oh, yeah. And this, knew, there's no that. way this goes b- badly for her. Like,. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, maybe if there were like I don't know more Home Alone style booby traps for Michael or something, mm-hmm. it would be a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, like just it, really lean into it with the paint cans down the yeah, stairs and the tarantula. He deserves it. I want to see. Yeah, I want to see Michael Myers go full Daniel Stern and just scream as a tarantula <laughs> crawls on his face because he's scared of spiders. Yeah, I would be down for that. Um, Jason was killed by Jason was killed by water, and Freddie was killed by fire. And Michael Myers is scared of spiders. How can yeah. we use that? I, I mean, I know it's kind of night and day in terms of approaches and the way H two O was executed, but I just I got more of a catharsis and more of a thrill out of the ending of H two O than of this one. And it was more of just like, oh, okay, that's it. All right, you know. And plus, I don't know, just setting him on fire and then walking away. You would think that she'd actually want to confirm that this guy. 
is Ash or mm-hmm. something, you know? Well, I mean... I know she has to get out of the house because it's on fire at that point, well, but... I, well, I mean, also, like, you're saying that as someone who has seen Michael Myers been exploded and <laughs> set on fire and, like, That's shot a hundred times and fell down a well and got his head cut off and everything. Laurie Strode has seen him get shot off a balcony... Yeah, and that's it. Also, like I like the I like the implication that he got caught by the police at some point, which makes me wonder how does in this. By the way, this is like the fifth ho- or sixth Halloween universe that exists Dear because Lord. every time they start doing sequels, they start creating creating new alternate universes. So there's the Halloween universe where it's just the first movie. There's the Halloween universe where the second movie is there because that's where they split. Like, oh, maybe he's her brother. Yeah. Uh, then so then there's the one two there's Halloween three which is its own thing uh, where Halloween exists in the universe of that movie there's Halloween four and five which act like one and two are real there's Halloween eight uh, and six is the same continuity there's Halloween H two O which acts like four five and six and three don't exist then there's Halloween Resurrection which falls off of that then there's the Rob Zombie Halloweens uh-huh. and those are their own Splinter universe and now there's this that says two on none of the other movies exist so in this. <laughs> particular branch of the Halloween multiverse. I want to know what is the what is the confrontation that leads Michael to be in a mental institution again? Mm. Cuz is that a dr- cuz yeah, they I mean, do a callback to him looking at the balcony and she's not there, which implies that How does he get caught again? Right. That's I and it's like I'm not saying I'm not saying it's impossible, now. but like I I do I am curious what in their minds when they're making this movie and, you know, even if it, they never, even if they like, well, we're not going to nail that down because we want to play, you know, we want the flexibility of playing with that later. Like when preparing for this film, like what did Jamie Lee Curtis think in her mind that how did that night end? Yeah, because we don't know. Yeah. Hmm. That's um, an interesting point. At any rate, uh, I really like the characters um, that aren't. The like the, the so the main problem with this movie is that Halloween H two O exists and it's the exact same story yeah except that that movie is just the story because that mm-hmm. movie was like eighty seven minutes long and is just about Laurie Strode went through a really traumatic night um where she 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 discovered her friends were murdered she got chased by the murderer she thought. At wrong that she dispatched him multiple times then he disappeared and then followed her to a hospital where he again killed everyone in the hospital trying to get to her which again like all of that is way more uh that's that makes way more sense that that would be like a traumatic moment that leads her shaken and everything totally. but in halloween h2o it's just like so now she's this control freak and she's an alcoholic right and she has this problem where her Teenage son is trying to pull away because he's a teenager right at the age, you know, but like, but like right at the time when she's like worst with all this PTSD and everything, she has to deal with it. She doesn't deal with it by becoming fucking Rambo (laughs) or Ted Nugent or whatever. Yeah, or Linda Hamilton. Like she just, she just sort of like finds the strength to do it and then cuts his head off. And at the end of the fucking, it's like just his head bouncing down the fucking gully and the music plays and that's it. And it's like fucking great. Yeah. I mean, there's like, it's cheesy and corny and it's like a post scream slasher. So it kind of feels like a TV show. Um, and I still don't know how, how did, 
resurrection happened with, I guess she chopped off the wrong guy's head. Yeah, in resurrection so, uh, it sets up that one of the paramedics, okay. one of the paramedics got his larynx smashed by Michael. Michael stole the paramedics' clothes, dressed him up like like him. Okay. So the guy who's coming after Lori is actually like he's silent because he can't because his voice box is smashed. <laughs> okay. It's a really bad setup. Like Resurrection's a bad movie. Yeah, uh, I'm not defending that in any way, but I'm saying this whole theme has already been tackled. It's been tackled more directly. It's been tackled with more nuance, and it's just been tackled in a movie that just knows what the fuck it is and gets in and gets out. Um, this movie implies that like. Someone tried to kill her once, and then she's just been shaking, uh, like, for the past 40 fucking years. Yeah. And then, like, if they try to hang a lampshade on it with the guy being like, that's not that bad compared to what happens today. But, like, forget, <laughs> about what, forget about mass shootings or whatever, which is what he's implying as far as, like, Michael Myers being a notorious killer. Also, Michael Myers probably not going to be a notorious, that notorious a case. Um it's you know like the guy. The, I wouldn't do a podcast on the guy. No, no, no. The, <laughs> Gain, the Gainesville Ripper or whatever killed about as many people as Michael Myers, and no one really knows who that is. Uh, when I say that, yeah. I, also, they might not know who that is because they might have gotten the name wrong. At any rate, um, but I also any, wouldn't interview a, a serial killer but like, way out in the open. You want to talk? You want to talk about like traumatic shit that happens like in the seventies or whatever? Like, there's plenty of people who were on the opposing end of terrible violence and, you know, whatever, that, you know, they're not, they don't turn into fucking Ted Nugent. <laughs> it's just, and it's so, it like, it kind of, like, makes her a ridiculous kind of a character. And, it like, the only thing that makes it not ridiculous is because there has been, four, like, 40 years of Halloween movies. Mm. And we know. We know that Michael yeah, is. Yeah. But it's like, those other movies don't exist. But you kind of know they do, right? Like, because he's Michael fucking Myers. And right. you know he's going to be unstoppable. He's going to be the Terminator and all that shit. He's a shark. You know, and that, I mean, he's out to kill you. For, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's the... I, I think not going down the, the like, okay, let's, we got to find justification for why he is and why he's chasing her. He is just the shape. Mm -hmm. And I like that. That's what Green and McBride decided to do with this film. Um, I mean, I do think he makes some errors along the way, especially with the doctor character and even just his death. I was like, Oh, come on. I mean, like Carpenter was so like, so subtle with the violence and the and the, and just the act of killing that it, it, I'm not to say like the cliche of like, Oh, it's better if it plays out in your imagination or in your head, if you don't see what actually takes place, but it was just far more effective than a lot of the kills. I think in this one. Well, the funny thing about this movie, like, ultimately everything comes back to the fact that, like, when you go down and you sit, when you sit down in the theater and you watch this movie, you see, like, four different studio title cards. You see the oh, Universal yeah, yeah, yeah. logo, you see Bloomhouse, you see Miramax, it's Mustafa Akkad, or his, <laughs> Mustafa right, Akkad's right. son right. is, like, the producer who actually owns, like, the rights of Halloween are fucking stupid. And at some point, there was probably, they didn't all have equal creative say but it does mean that every decision that gets made is in some way okayed by all of these things and this is a movie that probably the script has been being worked on since 2010 when Halloween 2 came out and they were like oh are we going to do a new Halloween or are we going to do Halloween 3 like Rob Zombie's Halloween 3 or what's going to happen like 
this is probably a movie that's just been a script that's just been worked and reworked and reworked for years and years and years. And like, it's very obvious. You, it, it feels like four different movies. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, like that's the one it thing you can say. That's times. the one thing you could say about like, maybe a sequel could happen that would make me optimistic is like, well, maybe if a sequel happened, it would happen in two years. <laughs> and it would and it would just be a single fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like I can't wait for the Blu-ray for this to come out and just to see all the deleted scenes and all like the alternate endings and all. There has to so. there has to be an alternate opening because this movie opens so bad. I have no idea why it opens. Like none of that means anything. Say something. Like what does that have to do with <laughs> anything? And then like the hard cut, like it's this like iconic moment, and then. That weird, like, oh yeah, then we chain up six mental patients on a giant chessboard in this mental... Like, what movie is this from? Like, yeah, this is not the movie that. about the serious story of a traumatized woman taking back her, you know, ta- uh, taking it's back more, her that's violence. That's more of an afterthought than I expected it to be. Yeah. You know, and I, th- I, I, I like, I understand, you know, especially, you know, focusing on just how amazing of an actress Jamie Lee Curtis can be, especially like in in light of, um, you know, just the, her her arc throughout the series. Even though we're supposed to just think that that arc never really occurred in the first place, mm-hmm. I still I still felt a lot in, uh, invested in her, and I think that they they sort of shortchange a little bit. I mean. And I think Judy Greer is also kind of an afterthought, and the daughter. I think I mean I like the teenagers in this movie. I'll give them that, and I even yeah. like the, the 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 you know the the black kid that they're they're babysitting for. With that the, dude is the best. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of strong elements that that, well, that that's definitely one of those David Gordon Green things where he's like, oh yeah, oh David Gordon Green just let this kid improvise. Oh yeah, David Gordon Green said she's going to tell you go to bed and you're going to protest and just say whatever you feel like saying. Like there's yeah. moments where that kid like starts saying something and stops it. Like oh, it's so good. Uh, yeah, I loved it when he told the boyfriend, "No, you go upstairs." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that kid was hilarious. Uh, I I I liked all the gore too. Like I I like just the super. Like I like that they just leaned into the body count is so high, especially for a movie that is trying to take itself somewhat seriously thematically or whatever like it is just non-stop ridiculous violence and i like that a lot it just doesn't fit with the other part of the movie but yeah like, it didn't sit well with me <laughs> no you didn't i you just didn't like, like the, the crushing cam- of the doctor's head is like too much it's you didn't stupid. like the camera panning over to see the guy's jaw ripped open and like his teeth all over the place uh, at the gas station i'm not saying you have to or the knife going through the throat you don't have to like necessarily emulate carpenter to the you know final note necessarily but it's just like when i watch how the original halloween i am like genuinely terrified and unnerved for pretty much the whole thing and you don't really see any blood but when you watch halloween 2 you see him stab a needle into someone's eyeball and Mm -hmm. that was and those were the scenes that were shot by carpenter because carpenter was hired to do the reshoots to add more (laughs) violence so it, it's really well, keeping yeah, it once true. You got to the thing, if you, you were, know. if you were a real Halloween fan, you would understand that the true Carpenter Halloween, the last Halloween he directed, was the ridiculous, over-the-top gore scenes from Halloween Two. Um, no, that's ridiculous. Anyway, hey, that's fine. Speaking of Carpenter's involvement, what did you think of the score? Eh, yeah. That's <laughs> I don't know. It's like I, I, I listen to the Lost themes, and they sort of blend together for me. I think they're mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. I don't think they're bad. I don't think they're great. 
I know people are just like, oh my God, you know, it's so cool that John Carpenter is collaborating with his son. And I haven't seen the live experience or anything, but uh, after a while, it just, I mean, it didn't really stand out. John Carpenter is a genre of music at this point. Like it's, it's hard for that to still feel fresh because like every third fucking electronic artist on Bandcamp sounds like John Carpenter. Mm. If you want that John Carpenter feeling, boy, you can find that John Carpenter feeling. In movies, you can find that John Carpenter feeling. In cheap ass bad movies, you can find that John Carpenter feeling as far as the score goes. Like Yeah. But I mean, nothing tops kind of like what it follows did with a John Carpenter feel and maybe some just general like approaches to music. I think that film really captured and also stood out as being original in its own way. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I like to me like that was kind of like the Like I know it's electronic like uh 80s sort of electronic thing, but it didn't feel specifically John Carpenter to me. Yeah. Uh, uh it's I mean I it, it, at whatever. moments maybe. It's but, a good score. I like it. I'm not uh, I'm not yeah. denying that at all, but uh Anyway, uh, it's fine. They get the mask right. They got, <laughs> yeah. they got the mask. Like, there's no sequel where the mask looks right. Mm. Even H two O, I thought like H two O is the worst offender. They had like four different masks. Oh geez, because everyone remembered the mask from the first Halloween differently. Some of them, like some people, were like, "Oh no, there was no features. It was really featureless." Mm-hmm. I think that was the. I think that was Steve Miner. Is he was like, "No, I want a mask that is." Just blank. And someone's like, no, it was humanoid. It was fucking Captain Kirk. Like, you definitely had the eyebrow ridges and everything. And so there's bad, like, CGI where, like, oh, we got to go back and change it. But it's fucking 1998 CGI. (laughs) So it's just, like, the mask is awful in H2O. In Halloween 4, I think, is the worst one. Um, I remember really liking the way... And it's probably because I saw this young, too. I really liked the way Halloween 4 ended. But then they did nothing... (laughs) With with that idea oh, in mean, the beginning of you, Halloween Five, you mean Jamie becoming the new? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Just you can't like, you can't sell a fucking Halloween movie without Michael Myers. They already made that mistake. So. Yeah. I don't know. I that that uh, I I remember that that's probably the one of the first slasher movies I when you saw said you liked the, the way Halloween Four ended. I thought you meant like I really loved just a hundred hillbillies with shotguns shooting Michael down a well <laughs> and then blowing him up with dynamite. I thought it was Maybe I thought I it was like really keeping in, really keeping with that Carpenter feel. You know, that yeah. less is more. But I have no desire to fucking, re- revisit four, five, or six at any point. Oh, always. You know. I will always revisit all of those big horror franchise sequels because I just find them fascinating as a collection of movies hmm. um, and how the series changes and how they reflect the sort of environment they came out in. Like, most of them are bad, but I will always watch those movies forever. And I have that, you know, Scream Factory big $110 box set where I have every Halloween movie on Blu-ray and all that. Uh, and when this movie comes out, I'm going to have to get that. To Was keep there ever the a documentary like the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th ones for no, Halloween? No. I'm surprised. Uh, yeah, I mean... I don't know if it'd be as interesting, but I, I don't know. I think... I really love those documentaries, and I was so intimidated by, by the lengths. Well, the reason but, the, there was never a box set until recently is... And I imagine... I mean, I don't know exactly uh, how securing rights for documentaries about film series go. I don't know how much of that they can claim fair use or not. Mm-hmm. Probably not much. Um, but, like, the thing about Halloween is, like a, like like I said, like, there's a hundred different people own it. So, like, trying to get that together, like, that was the thing that was so impressive when 
when uh, Shout Factory did that was like, I can't believe they got fucking Universal and Anchor Bay and the Weinsteins and, you know, and Miramax and the fucking, uh, you know, everyone else, like, to get together and to get this set up and you watch it and you're like, oh, some of these Blu-rays aren't, they don't quite all feel like the same set. Like, some of them don't have subtitles, some of them do, and Ugh. it's ba- it's dependent on what studio released it and which studio wanted to pay for subtitles and stuff like that. But at any rate, uh, it's a really cool set, and I will watch those movies forever, and I'll probably watch this one a bunch more as well. Uh, if only I'm because- curious about, like you said, some things on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Maybe, like, some more... I could totally tell, like... Oh, this that clearly McBride must have wrote that... Uh, that scene with between the two cops in the car in the in the car about the bon mi sandwich or whatever. I was yeah. like, that is it stands out, but I like those weird asides. Yeah, the you know? the dance the the gay kid who who's going home with his dad. <laughs> That's the cool okay. Here's the cool thing about the new Halloween is that they killed the kid first. Not in this, not technically the first death, but like the first on screen death is that kid gets strangled in the car. Oh yeah. Uh, as, as like a throwback to uh, Annie getting killed in the car. Right, right. Um, and so then later when he's doing his thing, when he's walking around the suburbs uh, and that one super long tracking shot where he's just going into people's homes and killing them, there's the scene where he kills the woman in the kitchen and then it just follows him to the crying baby. And you're like, but but maybe. And ultimately, no, he walks past it. They're not going to kill the fucking baby. But like... It put a little bit of doubt in my mind, and that one moment was so exciting. It was exciting. I would have never <laughs> believed if they didn't kill the kid first. That was really smart. If they didn't kill the kid first, I would have never guessed. I would have never assumed that they would ever have the potential to kill the baby, um, but they did. That so. uh, yeah, that would have been a true shocker. That would have been really fucking. It was just that would have been. I mean, okay. Also, I should say I saw this opening night, but we I had the same experience that we did when we saw it. Where it was like the theater was half empty and no one really fucking cared. <laughs> I got to go to a different theater when I'm going to these movies. Because the whole point I go, a horror movie opening night is you want to see with a packed theater jumping and, you know, screaming or whatever. No one cared at all. But there was definitely like a bunch of, oh, when, when he's walking past the crib, like you could just hear people t- like sucking Are breath. Are they going to go there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Like, I mean, it's serviceable. I don't know if I go out of my way to say it's a really good movie or anything, but I I, I I don't know, maybe it's just the way it ended kind of felt more like a whimper. It just like, mm, okay. Yeah. And maybe that's intentional to set up a sequel. I don't know. It like, opens, the the it way opens it ends with like zooming in on a knife the, with her. Oh, well, I mean, it opens it has, it has the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and yeah, like of all like, the fucking movies to reference. Strange. <laughs> um, yeah. the uh, It opens bad. I, I like the there's a section of the movie I like, which is everything from when the they discover the bus, which is a, another, like, again, this movie's full of fucking callbacks, and that's like a big callback to when, uh, in the opening of the first movie, when Dr. Loomis and the nurse are uh, driving up and they see all the mental patients wandering around. Right, right. So, like, that sequence, and then everything from there up until, like, the doctor's twist, where he's like, actually, I'm evil because I'm fascinated by evil, and I'm wearing the mask because I'm evil. Like, all that was shit, and then everything that followed that was bad. But everything in between those things, I was A-OK on. And I'd say this is probably my fourth favorite, third favorite Halloween movie. I like probably probably fourth. I probably like this more than Season of the Witch. Mm. 
I don't know if I do. I, I'm always, I'm always, again, in the middle on Season of the Witch. Like, there are people who love it, and there are people who just don't get it. And I'm like, I'm, it's fine. Last I'm time sure. I saw it was on the big screen, and that fixed a lot of my, not a lot of, it didn't fix my problems, but it made the stuff that works better, mm-hmm. which is that it looks really fucking good, and the soundtrack is really good. Yeah, I don't understand the fascination with Tom Atkins, but no, oh well, no. <laughs> he's just kind of a blank slate to me. Like, I don't understand why he's revered, but, you know, he's fine in, like, Night of the Creeps. He's I think fun. that's why people like him, is his character in Night of the Creeps. Yeah. That's, people that's have a lot of goodwill for that. That's the best part of that. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, people have goodwill for any actor who's in more than two horror movies. Like, it doesn't matter who the fuck it is, people get so excited if they're, it, like, it doesn't, at convention or anything, people are just like, <gasps> that's the guy who dies third in Friday the 13th <laughs> Part 3. Fucking A. High five him, man. Hey, man, when I saw, when I was in my first flashback weekend, I saw all the Dream Warriors. I got excited. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. It's like, oh, my God. Who are we going to talk to first? Can we, can we name the dream, the characters in the Dream Warriors? Kincaid. I, that's the only name I know. That was, that was the most excited I, I was. I get, I get, Joey. There's Joey. He's Joey. The, he's yep. the mute. Um, what is the name of the wizard and master? I'm, and I'm bad. What's her name? What's her name? No. She's great. Oh, yeah. Also in a movie called Bad Dreams. Yeah. Which I like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know any of the other names. Tina. Yeah. Tina. No, uh, the, Tina was in the first one. Yeah, who, she's the first person who does Patricia killed. Arquette play in the third one? Because she gets killed in the fourth one. This is riveting. Yeah, riveting radio. I what, is she another Tina? There might be no. two Tinas. Yeah, it's a good question. Should I cheat and look on the phone? Eh. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm see. We this is what happens. You 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 plant a seed. I have to see it grow. Okay. Okay. Wait, I typed in dream earrings. Um, Kristen. 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 Taryn. Epcot. Taryn is the... Yeah. yeah. Taryn's bad. Kincaid yeah. is big. Joey. Uh, who's the guy who... Who's the, where's the Who's the guy who gets chiodoed? Who gets the uh, fucking marionette? veins oh yeah that's the best that that scene is so gnarly i can't like i can't believe will is the wizard master will is the wizard master that's right that's right why is he not coming coming up here Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. philip philip yep philip has to make his marionettes out of duct tape because they're afraid if he gets a knife he'll go (sighs) that was so good that movie's so good you know what else I kind of liked? What? I like the new Suspiria. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> it's, it's one of those first-time experiences with an audience, too, where you could tell um, people not connecting with it and kind of going, what? What? What is that? What? You know? And sometimes, that I don't know why, maybe that just gives me a little bit more of a thrill, like... I I don't I like these movies that kind of like really fuck with people and when they don't get it I'm trying to like I'm gonna try and get this a little bit more if I can. I don't know if I did entirely. Yeah, it's dense. Um, there's a lot going on. That I mean, what in Argento's version? There's not a lot to it, really. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I mean, I don't know if it makes a lick of sense, and I'm not exactly sure how it all pans out at the very end. And I'm okay with that, and I'm also okay with the new Suspiria. Like, in terms of just having a series of weird, surreal set pieces, and I really like the dream sequences where she's asleep and having these kind of, like, you know, externalized hallucination kind of things going yeah. on. I liked a lot of that. I liked Tilda Swinton. I, I, I liked all the acting in this movie in general. Uh, I'm not, I can't comment too much on the political subtext. <laughs> you know, I know it's there, uh, but I'm not sure if it all entirely meshes well in the end. I just thought um, it was a completely different beast than the original, and I appreciated it for that reason. Um, it's two hours and 30 minutes, which, again, I don't know. It didn't feel long to me, necessarily. I didn't feel the pacing issues at all. Uh, I mean, I thought the very first death was re- relatively shocking for me. Um, so, I mean, I again, like I, I don't know if I can entirely say why it worked for me. It just did. And... You know, at the same time, like, I don't know if it's a great movie, but I want to, like, champion it at the same time because it's not, um, it's, it's not an indie dramedy. It's not like a lot of movies I've seen. <laughs> it's not like I just got inundated with all these different or all these movies that felt the same. Like somebody had cancer, somebody but, has addiction. So the somebody, whole context of this movie is like, you got fucking sick of film at the Chicago International Film <laughs> probably. Festival and then you saw Suspiria. Probably. That probably plays a little bit into it. Just like, I don't know what this is, but I'm excited that I don't know what this is. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really like the score. Yeah? I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe you'll say like the piano twinkly Tom York droning kind of stuff is, you know, nothing special. But I, I don't know. I thought like the, the, the piano refrain that pops up during really creepy sequences and dance sequences. It's kind of still playing in my head. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I don't know what it, what it has to say ultimately about like trauma and memory and motherhood. I don't know if I could actually like cohesively put together a thesis on what he's trying to go for in general. Like I know he came out and like said, I wanted to make a movie that felt like the first time I'd watched the original Suspiria and how I felt and what I experienced. Mm-hmm. And I think that translates pretty well. Um, I don't know what... I probably do need to see it. You've seen it a second time, or you, you saw it with the closed captioning. I've seen caption. it one and a half times, <laughs> okay. I would say. Yeah, I like because I don't understand what was, what was being said and how everything plays out in the end with the vi- final bloody... Let's Let's go ahead and say right now, we already mentioned we're going to be spoiling everything. This is a movie that has a pretty significant twist of some sort in the ending and if you are let's let's hold off on talking about the ending for a bit uh so people can at least get our general thoughts and then decide to just tune out if they haven't got a chance to see it yet Um, i'm still processing it but overall i really liked it yeah um i liked it i think i it's smart it it's smart if if his goal was to make people feel the way he felt the first time he saw suspiria then he did the first the the correct first step, which is he made it not like Dario Argento's Suspiria, and he made it not remind you of Dario Argento's Suspiria. Correct. Because the thing about seeing Suspiria for the first time 
is unless you're a you are already somehow like this big Dario Argento person and like that you saw the arc of where his filmmaking went. Like probably the first time you saw Suspiria was the first Dario Argento movie you saw and or at the very least, like you probably had never seen another one like that before. Um, and so the fact that this movie like almost like he sat like. And I don't know the exact... This is a movie that has been in development forever, so I don't know mm-hmm. exactly when... Uh, what's the name of the director again? Luca Guadagnino. I don't know exactly when Luca Guadagnino came on in the project. I don't know at one point he got involved with the script to what degree. His name is not on... the. He's not credited as for screenplay, so... Yeah, I actually don't know who wrote it. No, um, I, it's not him. I, yeah. I, don't, I didn't recognize the name. But at any rate, I don't know the back history but it feels like this movie feels like someone sat down and said what are the things people remember about Suspiria let's do the opposite so that was exciting yeah the first Suspiria you think bright garish primary colors so this is a movie that's very drab it's very dark it is a lot of browns and grays and and beige and very muted colors in this movie there's a few moments where the colors get bright and garish, but for the most part, it's a very muted-looking movie. Um, it's like, well, what do people remember? People remember the the crazy, over-the-top, uh, like, prog rock score. It's like, so let's actually not have too much score throughout the movie. Let's have it be this quieter, like, yeah, piano-driven, droning thing, this sort of looping, uh, discordant kind of piano riff that happens, this arpeggio that happens over and over again, which is like, I'm not saying it's a bad score by any stretch of the imagination. The music is, the music is good. It's just, it's not notable in the way that I think the music in the original Suspiria is notable. And I think that's on purpose. So you're not thinking about yeah. the two while you're watching it. Um, you just appreciate the music for what it is. I know someone said that hearing Tom York's vocals kind of took them out of the movie a little bit. And I can understand that. Uh, to some degree, but like that, I do like this, just the simplicity of that yeah. lone piano arpeggio. Yeah. And if you like look up the lyrics, um, like that is like the lyrics are very like simple and they are about like what the movie's about and stuff like that. They're very, it's so like it, it fits. It feels like the way that pop music is used in film. Um, what is this movie about? <laughs> like, it seems like I mean, it's about I mean, a I lot of things. I don't, mean, I don't necessarily mean what it's about thematically. I just okay. mean like he sings about. We've been thinking about our bodies. What's going to happen? We just need to keep spinning. Like yeah, okay. the imagery. Yeah, it's evocative yeah. of the film. Yeah, um, what he's singing about. Um, the 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 other thing about Dario Argento's Suspiria is it's about these big set pieces with very sharp, striking violence where everything gets cut into its own shot and you see the gleaming knife and then you see the the blade going into the heart and you see the blood coming out of the heart and you see the person being hung and it's all these super it's all driven by editing and it's all super crisp visuals and this is a movie that is very much about the flow of the film it is about the way that one thought leads to another it's about the feeling of witchcraft being evoked through editing. It's a, the, the witchcraft yeah, is being yeah. like, you can feel their presence through the whole movie because there is a stream of consciousness sense of editing to it. You get the feeling that the way that the witches in the coven are shot, it will cut somewhere else and you get the feeling that they're observing it. it mm-hmm. There's a lot of scenes where you hear them whispering and speaking before it properly cuts to the next scene 
and it creates sort of a permeable membrane throughout the film that has this sort of air of gloom over it that is very different than the way an Argento movie feels, which is like the set pieces are their own separate Brava sort of big solo uh, solos that are work into the larger piece, but they, they like stand that. alone. Yeah, you can watch solos. any murder scene <laughs> in Tenebrae without seeing Tenebrae and you get what is interesting about them. Whereas this movie has to be taken as a whole. And that's why it's so long is because it is very patient. It's, I do think it, it feels long. It just doesn't feel slow. Like, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, like I was never bored, you no. know, so, and I, even though I wasn't like a hundred percent sure. And I think that's probably just the thrill of watching a movie for the first time. I have no idea where this thing is going <laughs> and what's ultimately going to happen. And I think part of me isn't like a hundred percent over the moon. This is an amazing masterpiece. Like some <laughs> people have said is because of how it plays out in, in the end. And we'll get to that. But, and also the, the other thing you remember about the original Suspiria is that it feels like a dream. It feels yeah, yeah, like yeah. you're sort of floating through this Alice in Wonderland kind of fantasy. So what, what, uh, Luca does, I forget his last name already. Guadagnino. Guadagnino does is, he grounds it instantly. He says, this is the moment. This is the time. This is the place. This is the politics. This is the history of all the characters involved. Like, the original Suspiria also takes place in Germany, but you probably forget that. You probably just assumed it takes place in Italy because yeah, no, it's yeah. not grounded in that way. There's, like, the one scene where the blind man's at a bar and there's just a bunch of fucking Bavarian folk dancing. <laughs> but, like, for the most part... Uh, there is, I think there probably is a political subtext to Dario Argento's films just because he seems to be interested in those things. They just don't necessarily come out if you're not looking for them. Uh, there's the infamous thing about like, uh, I think Phenomena is a movie, like it, ta like it takes place in an alternate universe where the Nazis won the war and it doesn't come up huh. necessarily. That's just like the background for Argento while he was making it was thinking that. Interesting. And there's like, I think Tenebrae is a movie that takes place in uh, in the future after an extinction level event and like humanity has built itself back up. Like there's a lot of strange premises floating around in the minorest of subtext in Dario Argento movies, but this is front and center here. You cannot miss that this is a political film because all you hear on like every other scene radio, on the radio and, yeah. is stories about Bader Meinhof and the RAF. Uh, the end of the Red Army faction. Yeah, the, these, these far left uh, groups that were active all throughout the world in the 70s and you know it the movie talks about the connections between like the Palestinian uh movement and the you know uh East Berlin uh far left uh groups and stuff like that and that stuff I also don't have a good comprehensive history on so there's probably a lot of stuff going on that I just didn't pick up and I'm not going to be able to comment on uh correctly um but at any rate like the movie makes sure that you know that's what it's about in a way that Suspiria would never dare do. Like, mm -hmm. Suspiria would never want to distract you from the, the... It would never want to pop the bubble of being a nightmare. Yeah. So, it that's very smart in at least it chooses to be its own film while still sort of following the same plot, more or less. Uh, the same basic loose structure mm -hmm. as the original film. It's very much its own thing. And comparisons between the two are almost meaningless uh, yeah. other than just noting that that's choices they made. Yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, subverting expectations, even with just, uh, 
what, what also the funny thing about Suspiria is it's about uh, the original Suspiria is it's about ballet, but there's like no fucking dancing in it. Like you see her go to one sort of dance practice and she gets lightheaded and the rest of the movie she's in bed. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like it's Dario Argento, you know, like it's the dude who made opera. Like he yeah. knows how to take advantage of a setting and, and like, but there are no big ballet set pieces in the original Suspiria. But it's here sort you of get incidental. Really primal, intense yeah, yeah. dance sequences mm-hmm. that I thought were really effective. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not I'm not really normally a big J- Dakota Johnson fan, but I thought she did a good job. What else is she in? Uh, there are I feel like there the 50 are Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, I not that like I've seen those movies. There but. are like five actors who all look exactly like Dakota Johnson, and I get them mixed up. Like who you're probably is, right. Who is the actor in that English language Park Chan Wook movie? Mia Wasikowska. Yeah, like I feel like sh- I get her mixed up. Uh, anyway, I can, see, I can see that. There's a bunch of people who I think look like Dakota Johnson, but I don't think I've seen Dakota Johnson in anything. Yeah, she's fine. I don't. I don't think there was any particularly great performance in this movie. Even Tilda Swinton? No, she's mm. fine. Like she does what you expect her to do, but there's she has one le- level that she stays on. Um, and the movie I don't think ultimately does that much that's interesting with her character. Either character. Spoiler alert. Not that I don't know. I think people know by now what that Tilda Swinton plays the doctor too. Oh, I didn't know. That. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I I, had, I suspected that the doctor he was played by a woman in in under makeup, but I didn't know that was yeah. Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Um. No, I don't think. I think that. I think that was probably not a great choice. Like I, I like casting a woman in that role isn't necessarily a bad choice, but I think it's a very distracting performance. Ah, uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't like blown away by that by that performance. Mm-hmm. I don't I, know. I also like I did not realize that it was Tilda Swinton in that role. So like that's probably a good thing. Though. I didn't pick up. I didn't. So I. But it did. It was distracting. I was like, I don't know who's that actor is, but they're very <laughs> strange. Um. But no, I don't think any. I don't think it's a movie about the performances really. Mm-hmm. Um. None of them stood out to me. So. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. It's so. I first saw this movie Monday, and it was late, and I had been up since four three uh, forty five in the morning, and I was tired, and I couldn't hear half of the English dialogue, and I couldn't follow it because there's parts where they're saying people's names, and I couldn't tell if they were saying someone's name or just saying a word I didn't recognize, and I couldn't figure out who anyone was because when they identified them by name. I couldn't do it. So, like, I watched the first 90 minutes of the movie, and I just walked out of the theater, and I was like, no, I'm going to bed. Uh, so, the second time I watched it, uh, on the Music Box website, they had a listing for uh, accessibility devices, and I think a lot of, like, major theaters and stuff have this. So, if you ever have, like, a problem where you have poor hearing, like I do, um, in my case, it's not necessarily a physical impairment. It's a, a complication of my ADHD, where... If there's multiple sounds going on, my brain can't focus on it. So yeah, I feel like I get that too. So yeah. if so, like for example, if I'm at work and the coffee grinder is going, and I'm looking at someone and they're talking to me, I might not pick up what they're saying because my brain can't focus. And I, to, it, to me, it's it's functionally the same as if I just had poor hearing. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Like when there's music playing, I might, I I focus so much on the music to sometimes where I. 
yeah. lose sight of what, per, what what people are saying or whatever. But it's there like, are different accessibility devices uh, available yeah, in different theaters depending on the movie and stuff like that. So the music box had closed captioning device. And what it basically is, it's about a metal, it's a really thick metal wire, like an inch and a half in diameter uh, that's about three and a half feet tall. And it's really thick and sturdy, but it's still a wire, so you can still bend it. And basically, you put it down on the, and you hold it in front of you on the floor, and you're sitting in your seat, and then you can sort of bend it so you just look, you glance down, and it's staring directly at you, and it's just an LED screen that has text on it. And the text that is on it is just the text that you would have, like, on a DVD if you hit subtitles. So it has dialogue, but it also has, like, a symbol that says music is playing, it will describe sound effects stuff of that nature sure um and it's it has it's sort of walled off so the idea is you angle it the way you need to so it's looking right at you but because it's walled off it's not like a phone screen where everyone around i was gonna say isn't that distracting for others around i so so i first time i saw one of these uh was when i was at the arc light and i saw the witch and someone in the Hmm. front row had it and i just happened to be angled like right behind them and i was taller than them so i could look down and i could see it but people my understanding is that generally it's like you have to be in a certain range to even know that there's light coming out of it. Um, <laughs> but so th- I, I use that. For, and this is the first time I've ever used that. And it was enormously helpful because not only is it just, oh, I couldn't make out that dialogue and now I could. I'm not using my brain to try to use context clues to figure out what people are saying. Sure. I know for sure I see a name <clears throat> spelled out when someone is addressed and then I know for sure that's that character's name and that a character's name was spoken. Um, I know for sure uh, when I'm not supposed to pick up on language because it's in it's in German or it's in whatever, French or whatever, like it will say, you know, speaks French, you know, in parentheses. So that, that frees up a lot of... And, and the other thing is, because it's not on screen, um, I will glance down, I will read the sentence, and I will look back up at the screen, and I will just hear the sentence, because huh. I already know what is going to be spoken, but it's not distracting my eye from the frame the way it is subtitles happen on screen, because wow. they're always at the bottom. Okay. Because I just glance down away from the screen, and then I glance up at the screen, and I can just look at... So it's actually better than watching a movie at home with subtitles. Um, because you just control when you want to see them and you only need to glance at them real quick. You don't just sit there reading them the entire time they're on right, screen. Right, right, right. Um, so it was great experience and I was like instantly able to follow everything that happened. I was able to know, I mean, part of it was I had already seen the first 90 minutes so I knew like where some stuff was going and I mm-hmm. knew to look out for, okay, who is Blanc again? What's Marcos? I don't understand this and like I just knew to look for that and I could and I could just follow it and like that freed up a lot of my space to actually just think about the film instead of trying to puzzle out what I just heard or whatever. So if you are someone who has hearing problems or just in general difficulty understanding some things, uh, see if a theater has these and use them because they're fucking cool and they work. I might try it actually. So that was that was my that was like one because especially the music box and that's the yeah the one... music box is an old thirties movie palace yeah, that that's has just like the one thing about it is the acoustics there mm-hmm. is that and it and it really is difficult. and it's modern films because modern films are mixed for surround sound which is a very different thing. If you see a movie from the thirties in the music box, it's fine because the dialogue is not 
mixed with like seven different layers of background noise and music <laughs> and everything. Uh, and it's all in mono, so it's not there's no stereo separation in you know old films. So like, uh, you know, but Suspiria is a film that is ambiguous narratively. It's a film that's ambiguous like shot to shot. It's a film that uh, has a lot of different European accents. It's a film that has a lot of different spoken languages. So I needed that, and yeah, it helped. Um, so anyway, I think we could probably talk about the end now, but if you, I really like Suspiria. I think it's a really cool movie. I think this year has been terrible for films. So when I say it's one of the 10 best films I saw this year, that's not necessarily a huge endorsement, but I do think it was, it's really cool. And I do think it works, uh, on its own terms and I would recommend seeing it. Uh, and if that's enough for you and you don't, and you want to go into it and sort of not know, uh, a, a major thing that happens at the end, then just. Stop listening now. Yeah, I'm, I've I've been in a weird headspace in general <laughs> as of late. So movies like Hereditary and Suspiria somehow tap into that a little bit, mm-hmm. like the sort of anxiety, the unnerving sensations I get sometimes. To where I think I it's not to say like oh this movie is speaking to me, but it's capturing an emotion that feels familiar, even if I can't articulate it. And I think that's the the downside sometimes to having <clears throat> depression or anxiety is like, I can't really explain it. It's just there. <laughs> and that and these movies somehow tap into that a little bit. But like not to say like I was bewitched by this movie, but you know, to some degree, it's sort of enveloped me in a way that few movies have this year so far. I think another helpful thing about the movie is it opens and it it's it's uh Suspiria Six acts and a and an epilogue yeah. in Berlin or whatever, and so it has it's that very fast bender kind of kind a little, of thing. Uh, maybe a little yeah. bit, yeah. Um, and it, but it has that it has so it has that structure, so you know where you are in the story. Mm-hmm. If there was if there wasn't that, and it just kept going and going, you'd be like, Jesus Christ, when is this going to? But you get a feel for like, okay, this is the fifth act, which means this is setting up everything that's going to explode. In the next section, like you get a feel for the why certain scenes are important and stuff like that. And if if I I, I thought more like Lars von Trier or something like that. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. In the presentation, uh, but at any rate, that helps the pacing of it. So even though it is sort of a beguiling movie and it is uh, unusual, um, and you, it, it's not, it's not necessarily just like a mind fuck. I wouldn't. I I wouldn't qualify it as something like that. It doesn't. It feels very um, controlled, and it mm-hmm. also it Deliberate. doesn't. Yeah, yeah. But it also it doesn't feel like nothing I've ever seen before. And that's not necessarily a, a knock on it. It's just it feels like a Euro art house, <laughs> like horror movie. Sure. Um, which it is. <laughs> it is in fact that thing. Uh, it's just a better version than le- like, and that's how I feel about Hereditary. Like I think it's yeah. a a really good version of um, who's the guy the James Wan kind of ghost movie essentially. Um, I like the parts when it's a really good version of that. I don't like the parts when it's like a bad version of like an Anton Egonian <laughs> uh, film. Like uh, like okay. the, the, I think the drama parts of Hereditary let it down, and I think there's so much of that. But the parts that just feel like a James Wan movie, I fucking love Hereditary. Yeah. But uh, Suspiria feels like... The funny thing about Suspiria is we talk so much about how it, like, 
subverts expectations as far as what you think of Suspiria and what you think of Dario Argento. But it kind of ends up in the same place that a lot of movies that have been chasing that Italian horror vibe for the past five or so years. Like, it, it ends up in the same place. It just, I think it does it better than a lot of them. Uh, like, structurally and story-wise and even with feel, like, there's not a lot separating this from, like, the Neon Demon. It's just the Neon Demon is sucks and is tedious yeah. <laughs> and shallow and this movie is not. Like, right. it, this is just well-made <laughs> and the neon demon is not, you know, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion or whatever, but it doesn't feel like don't prepare yourself to see something you've never seen before. Unless you don't watch these kind of movies. Um, you know, if you haven't seen possession, if you haven't seen Dario Argento movies, if you haven't seen Nicholas winding Refn movies, if you haven't seen, uh, you know, Amir and uh, Strange Color Your Body's Tears, if you haven't seen... Oh, I still need to see that in the... the, the all, if you haven't seen all of the Euro sort of art house horror stuff that's come out in the past, you know, five to ten years, like, maybe this is going to be new for you, but I, I think it's just a good solid version of that thing, which is, you know, I'll, I'll gladly take... So, how this movie ends... Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so we're going to talk about the ending. <laughs> um, so, essentially, we find out that Dakota Johnson is one of the mothers. Is actually... So the this, mother suspiring. The whole movie, uh, we're under the impression that this uh, dance troupe, uh, which is a front for a coven of witches, but also a dance troupe. They seem like a coven of witches who are genuinely interested in putting on good dances. Hell yeah. I think, I think probably their dances are, are bewitching in some way or another. Uh, like probably there's some sort of evil juju that goes out from them <laughs> dancing, but like they're also just concerned with the craft of dance, which is endearing. Um, but the whole idea is we're under the impression from the very first scene that mother the, in Argento's mythology, which is very loose and my recollection and does not, uh, does not real like there, there's the mother of tears, there's uh, Inferno and then there's, uh, Suspiria, I think, right. are the three mothers right. movies he did. There's like three mothers that cause all the woe in the world. There's the mother of sighs, there's the mother of tears, and there's the mother of Inferno. Mm. I, don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't fucking remember. But at any rate, um, and this movie follows that, and Mother Suspiria, the mother of sighs, is supposedly the head of this coven. Um, but it turns out she's an imposter. She's just another witch. And Dakota Johnson is the mother of size and has been going through this whole uh, has been going through this whole charade just to get herself into a position to punish Marcos the witch. Okay. Okay. Um, and to punish all of Marcos' followers. Uh, not all, not all of them, but uh, to cause suffering, let's yeah, say. Yeah, to make their heads explode. Uh <laughs> The ones who pledge loyalty. There's some who didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we see the scene where they're voting, and the ones who voted for Blanc. Uh, oh, I think right, right, I think they're right. the ones who don't get their heads exploded. That was a really interesting scene. Yeah, like just sort of following people, but hearing that the was votes. Weird, that was weirdly the most Argento scene because that's the yeah. part of Tom York's score that's kind of funky and bass driven, right? And it does that deep red thing where it's just this super long tracking shot. Uh, with this music and you don't know why it's ominous but it is and um, still kind of cool yeah I, mean, I like that scene a lot yeah um so anyway dakota johnson 
has basically uh, been the devil the whole time and uh, explodes everyone's heads. And what that means as far as the political subtext of the film, as far as the Coven of Witches being a stand-in for, like, the fascist undercurrent of the Western German government and all that, like, I don't know. That's what the doctor was pointing out, I think. Finding that correlation, I guess. Like, that's what... And well, right, but then what... So then what does she represent? Uh, it's a good question. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know. But why, why did she decide to ultimately spare the doctor? I think, like, at one point, in sort of a very kind of Me Too fashion, like, you should believe a woman when she tells you something. She doesn't say that. Oh, they, I thought she the, does. the witches who kidnap him say. That. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Who? Because he, because he believes, because Chloe Grace Moretz is in this film, and she sort of opens it. She's someone who has been groomed to sort of have her soul sucked out by Marcos, um, or be have Marcos reborn in her body. Some something along those lines, um, and. She, you know, that's how the doctor gets stuck into this story, and but he the right. whole time believes it just to be delusions. Um, ah, okay, yeah, yeah. So I think, I mean, I he, she also just fucking like mind wipes him at the end. Yeah, that's interesting too. I mean, she tells him the story of how his wife died, and and then wipes his mind, and he doesn't even remember like the housekeeper who lives with him. I don't know. I I don't. The ending's strange, but. Uh, yeah, and then sort of closing it out on the <clears throat> heart on the tree in present day, I guess, which was kind of interesting. Again, I think this movie is primarily interested in the political, and because I don't have access to that, I can't really comment on that too well. Um, but I do think that... Well, his wife died in the Holocaust, correct? No. Uh, or... Yeah, yeah, more or less. Um okay. Not necessarily in a concentration camp, but in a prison camp of some kind mm-hmm. by the hands mm-hmm. of Nazis. Um, yes. Um, so, Played by Jessica Harper, by the way. Very briefly. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. It's kind of nice. I guess so, yeah. I, I was wondering if she'd pop up somewhere, and I didn't notice her, but I also didn't notice that Tilda Swinton was the doctor, <laughs> so what do I know? Um, but anyway, there's, there's stuff about the divided Berlin. There's... Stuff about fascism and uh, sort of the faux... Like, it was interesting seeing this the day after Election Day and just, like, in a country where so many people's voting rights have been stripped from them and so many... So much work has gone into ensuring certain people don't have a proper vote. There is this, like, charade of democracy to the coven. They present themselves as very... Uh, ingratiating and and very fair, and even when someone gets really mad, they're like, "All right, well, let's talk about this." Or like, and it's it's just a front, really. And yeah, it, there's there's interesting undercurrents and stuff, but I you know I can't. I also I just saw this movie like three hours ago, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hasn't fully percolated in my mind yet. But um, it at any rate, it 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 does enough work. Like I find that often. When a movie is fantastic in some way and it uses its fantastic elements as a metaphor for real world, like for like to use an example, like the X-Men, it's the X-Men when it was a comic series, the X-Men was sort of a stand in for racism. Right. And in the Brian Singer movies, it was sort of more of a stand in for homophobia. Um, But at any rate, it's not a good stand in for racism because 
like just because there are people who hate and fear black people, that doesn't mean like they're mutants. That doesn't like mutants in the X Men universe literally have special powers that could like kill people. Like mm-hmm. it's uh, it's not a good metaphor, but instead of instead of the mutant stuff being a good metaphor for racism, the racism stuff makes the mutant stuff have weight to it. Yeah. And that's, and so like whether or not, uh, you know, mutants in the X-Men universe is a good exploration of prejudice in tying the prejudice of the X-Men universe to real world prejudice that makes the X-Men universe feel more grounded and more interesting and it gets you invested in mm-hmm. that. And like and that's the investment that you need to care about these men in spandex, you know, shooting lasers at each other or whatever. Right. And I find a lot of genre fiction and fantastic material. It's not important to me that Suspiria be an an all all encompassing, perfect, neat metaphor for socialism versus fascism, for East Germany versus West Germany, for the legacy of World War II for the trauma of the Holocaust for and the trauma of, I guess, her having a uh, emotionally abusive mother too, because it's like hinted at, like yeah, it's hinted flashbacks. at, but that's not what the movie focuses on. It's I think not. again, like I think that's character building instead of the theme of the movie, right? But yeah. like, and for all I know, like this film is all of those things. This film could be an incredibly potent allegory for all of that, and. I just, you know, but I, I couldn't say either way. I'm just not in that position. But well, regardless... Well, I think it is, but I don't... I can't back it up. I was invested in these this story of this coven because it did a good enough job of tying the two together. And that is more important. Uh, or yeah. At least, and it, like, as a first-time viewing, like, that is the thing that actually registers. Um, and I was invested in this in a way I'm never invested in. And I'm, you know... If you've listened to this podcast from back when we were on it uh, and talking about stuff, like, I'm not a big Dario Argento fan. Like, I find that there are the scenes that he cares about and there's the scenes where he doesn't. And the scenes where he doesn't, you know, you just feel him checked out. And he doesn't know how to shoot a scene of two people talking and giving exposition and it's just boring. And Yeah, I've like, always just, said that I like I like when Argento goes all Sam Raimi in his movies, like when he decides to, like, just go for broke and, you know, that fucking amazing shot in opera. Well, yeah. For example, like, I love that stuff. That's a, but there's a lot of waiting for that stuff. That's an a, it's an a uh, chrono, uh, chronological way of looking at it since Sam Raimi is going all Argento. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That's true. Um, but, I mean, I think Suspiria works better than most Sam, uh, most Dario Argento films because Suspiria has the least amount of scenes of people talking and giving exposition and same with opera, you know, like, yeah. Um, and in opera, he even manages to care about some of the character stuff a little bit, but at any rate, like that's just, you know, that's just my opinion on Dario Argento, but it, like, I like Suspiria solely on how compelling any given scene is. The overall story means nothing to me. The characters are meaningless. The performances are always terrible in all those movies, partially just because they recorded without sync sound and, like it doesn't. Oh, that's true. It like it doesn't matter how good of a performance you give. Like there's, you know, Fellini movies are recorded without sync sound, and those movies are often really hard for me to get into just because the performances are so disconnected. Um, the last time I watched Suspiria, though, I was like, man, this is the death of the blind piano man by the bat. That scene goes on forever. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, 
when is it going to happen? Like, I don't know. Some, that's the thing, too, is like he, he can take his time during these set pieces mm-hmm. in a really compelling, put-you-on-the-edge-of-your-seat, restless kind of way. Mm-hmm. Which is not really the approach of this movie. No, not at all. Um, there's no... Because this movie doesn't really trade on atmosphere in the same way. Uh, but at any rate, like, the, you know, like, he's solved the problem that I have with the Dario Argento film, which is just how do you get, how do you care about these people? And it's like, well, make their world real, make their problems real, make their problems relevant to your problems today. You know, like <laughs> I fucking deal with fascism every fucking day because I live in America, you know? So like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so the, and I mean, and. It's the far right movements are happening all over the world and South America and Europe. And like, this is not a local problem only. So mm-hmm. I don't want to minimize this film by saying it's only relevant as far as how it relates to Americans or whatever, but I'm an American viewer. So that's going to be the thing I relate to. But at any rate, like it, I'm very much invested in what happens. Uh, and then I can enjoy all the cool stuff like the, like that first uh, death scene. Cool. Um, yeah. Or beautifully edited, or the ending uh, where I'm still can't quite wrap my head around the choreography of the ending, as far as the throne made out of the dancers that slowly unravels and sort of undulates yeah. and opens. Like I don't know what I saw. It's like it's an astounding work of choreography, and there's like all these little pleasures to be had in the film. But That's I'm like leaning closer at that point. Yeah, I'm leaning. I'm leaning. You know, I'm leaning in in my seat and getting right up into the screen because of I've bought into the world in a way I never do in like an Argento film. Yeah, the only thing that kind of bummed me out during that sequence was just the decision to kind of go um, like stroby, slow motion kind of a thing. Does that so much in the movie Mandy that it drove me nuts. Yeah, but um, I didn't but, see Mandy, but I, th- I think I mean generally this movie had has it this movie's aesthetic sense is not my favorite like i don't necessarily like how this movie looks it's i appreciate that it doesn't remind me of dario gento's suspiria so yeah. i don't have that distraction but it's colorless. on its own i don't think it looks very good i it's on its own i don't think that you know the stroby stuff that happens a lot is very good i didn't think the dream sequences i like like those were the moments that I was comparing it to Argento because they're, they're, he's going for something more abstracted, and I thought it was very generic. And mm. I've I, they're not terrible. I'm still, I'm still creeped out a little bit by it. They're not they're not terrible by any means. It just was not impressive. And like that's for a movie that is so reserved. Like for a movie called Suspiria that is this reserved. Like that's the part where he goes all out, and then I it, he revealed his hand, and it's he's just not a visualist the way mm-hmm. that Argento is, and he can't really pull that off the way. Yeah, outside of Call Me By Your Name, I'm not familiar with... I haven't seen his other work at all. Yeah, I didn't see A, a Bigger Splash or I Am Love. Yeah. Um, I'm a little curious. I, I, sure. I've been on board for his last two movies, so we'll see We'll see what happens. Um, overall, though, I, th- I think I like this a little bit more than Halloween, just because... I had no idea what to expect. Can you imagine if David Gordon Green remade Suspiria? Like, I don't know what that would I have mean, been. Again, like it's really hard to attribute any one part of the Halloween of the new Halloween to David Gordon Green, just because it is so many people involved, and like you don't want to. But like, if if there was a Suspiria remake that felt the way the new Halloween movie felt, it would be nothing but callbacks to Suspiria and every other Dario Argento movie. And it would just constantly remind you of Suspiria. <laughs> um, 
Like, I, oh, I'm so glad that we got the two films that we got. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know what he could have brought to the table to make Suspiria interesting in the for way the, For those who don't know, Guadagnino David Gordon did. Green was attached to a Suspiria remake many years ago. I don't know how long ago that yeah. was no longer a thing, but it was... But it's some, like a decade ago at this point. It, it very well. I think he was attached to a Suspiria remake when we did the David Gordon Green episode. Like, I think it you has been be right. that long. So it might have been 2010. Um, at any rate, um, <laughs> that would have been not good. And this movie is very interesting. And um, yeah, I yeah, don't I'll know. be interested to see what I think on a second viewing. Right. I'm, yeah. Because it. And it says I mean, a lot the, because it's two hours and 30 minutes it's long. It's not, because the, twi- the twist doesn't necessarily come out of nowhere, because, like, you definitely know something is up that she's so instantly good at all. Like, her, this Susie Banyan is so different from the original Susie oh, Banyan. Yeah, where the whole, for sure. The whole point of the f- Jessica Harper's uh, Susie Banyan is that it's the anxiety dream of not being good enough to be, and, like, the imposter syndrome. And, I mean, that that's quickly abandoned, because, again, she spends most of the movie in bed. But, like, like... Real like there's this they build up this school as being such a great dance school and then her instantly her very first rehearsal she's just fucking up and you and it's like it causes anxiety and you're like oh fuck no she's probably good no it's the witches yeah. it's not her fault like and this this movie instantly takes the opposite approach and makes her the most hyper competent dancer uh, and so like I knew something was up yeah because she is not. The wide-eyed girl from Ohio that she portrays herself to be. Like, I knew that there was something else going on with her. Especially by the time we get to the stare-down in the restaurant, which I was like, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, I mean, long before that, it was, like, I think the first time she goes, oh, I'll do it. And she, like, that I was like, okay, no, 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 something. She has some kind of ulterior motive or whatever, like. Um, maybe her mom was killed by this coven and she's coming to get revenge or something like that. But I'm glad it didn't go down that route. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it, if, if she, if she sad. is mother Suspirium, then she, that isn't her mother. Like that's phony. That whole farm thing is yeah, just I'm, a fake backstory. Hmm. So was it just, it was placed there to cause mother Suspirium, cause the, cause the three, yeah. Cause the three mothers have been there since before the beginning of time. So yeah, it'd be interesting going through it again. Um, I, sh- I probably should have just <laughs> stuck around the first time I, on Monday just to see the ending. So this time when I watched it properly, I'd at least know all the way where it was going, but uh, I'll be seeing it again at some point. I'd, I'm, I'm not in a position anymore where I feel like I should recommend stuff to people. Cause I feel my taste is so all over the place and, yeah, the majority of people love Bohemian Rhapsody. And is that true? And, I've seen no one say well, anything good. I mean, again, I, mean, I self-selected. Like general general moviegoers, they do love it. I mean, yeah. they've been sort of like coming out um, against Nick and and Eric, who like eviscerated the movie, and sort of like it's not that bad, guys. You know, if the music's good, and okay, maybe there's cliches, but guess what? We had a good time. You know, it's it, it's it's like the greatest showman last year. Everybody's like, "Oh, it's horrible! It's so I inaccurate." I think when you say everybody, just general movie going people that like. I mean, I know people who just like go to the movies just for a pure escapism, right? And, and they but like that's, it. That's every film. 
right? No, is is there I mean, an exception to that, or is there literally I mean, every if, film if someone those people, says, "I saw that. That was pretty good. I had a good time." I think if those same people went to see Suspiria, they would be pissed off. Or, but you know what I mean. Every yeah. film that is the thing they expect, they're going to say, "I saw it. It was pretty good. I had a good time." Like I when, I, when you say everyone, I thought I think you mean like people who care about movies. <laughs> Okay, maybe not everyone then, but just people, a faction of people yeah. that uh, are maybe the most demanding audience or like, I need this to be art or something profound or something that challenges me. I just need to go in and have a good time. And the thing is, is like, I couldn't do that with Bohemian Rhapsody. I was having a horrible time watching it because I'm like, there's a part where Mike Myers shows up and goes... Nobody's gonna like Bohemian Rhapsody, and I'm like, oh my! Is he just gonna wink at the screen? You know, at that is point, your computer. You just smacked your computer. Know, and you were just, so upset. I know. I'm very, I'm very upset that Mike Myers was casted as like a, like a, like a Scottish record record executive, like Shrek the record executive. Pretty good. Not good. A lot of it was not good. And that's it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's gonna be a big box office hit, and people will like it. That's fine, but. I you think re- I, that's yeah. That's the problem with you, man. You you've you've chose this life where you have an opinion about movies that come out, and then you have to deal with the people who see those movies. Whereas I literally, <laughs> I only see the opinions of like the twenty five people I follow on Letterboxd whose opinions I care about, and I'm absolutely ignorant of all this. Well, uh, Bill Ackerman just put out a great episode with Sergio Mims, uh, the supporting characters podcast, and at one point Sergio is like. I can't review new movies. I just want to watch old movies. And maybe I'll write about them. And maybe, you know, that's, you know, a much more interesting uh, way to live as a cinephile in general. It's like to, like, analyze works of the past that not everybody's writing about on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, I put, I, now I'm a Rotten Tomatoes critic. How does that and, feel? Eh, it's fine. Like, I, I mean, am I really going to affect anything? Are people going to, like... I don't know. Use my quotes, and what what does it mean? Well, it depends. Ha- Are you going to give a DC movie a bad review? <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever going to bother with more comic book movies. I just, those, I'm never going to see DC, Venom. Those DC fans, they find the the bad Rotten Tomatoes reviews, and they they go after those people. Oh wow! Yeah, they think there's a conspiracy where Marvel's paying off critics. <laughs> I don't know if that's still the case. I don't know. We'll see when Aquaman comes out. With- people think or i won't because i'm not on social media anymore but when i was on social media it was definitely uh people only like people only hate batman versus superman because they're paid by marvel too yeah but every once in a while like so i love you know i really like this movie wildlife directed by paul dano starring carrie mulligan uh co-written by zoe kazan and okay is that wait hold on one second let's together is it Physically possible, and I'm talking astrophysics, I'm talking Neil deGrasse Tyson, like, (laughs) let's look at, on a molecular level, can that be a whiter movie? Is it possible? Did Iron and Wine do the soundtrack? No. Is it? It takes place in the 50s. Okay, so very white. Um, uh, Yeah, it's white. It's very white. Is there a scene of someone putting mayo on a slice of bread? I'm sure there's at least butter. All right, it could be white. <laughs> it could be white. It's, I, I, it's at least white. It's bread. really close to maximum white, though. Yeah. Like that. That movie could 
probably get elected to Senate in Alabama. Mm-hmm. It's again, it's another one of those you know domestic dramas like the Ice Storm or something. Mm-hmm. It's just well acted and it's and it's and it's good and white. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, so like Zoe Kazan retweets my review of it, and am I not going to be like, oh, that's kind of cool? Of course, I'm going to be like, that's kind of cool. How dare you? But. I'm not, I'm like, oh my god, this is, a, I feel validated as a critic. In case anyone doesn't realize, of course you can, of course you can, that's an exciting little thing. But uh, it doesn't, I mean, she's going to retweet probably every positive review just to get people excited about the movie, and mm-hmm. she should, and it's a very good movie for what it is, but I, I am still... I, 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 are you thinking what I'm thinking? I don't know, I'm having one of those moments of Earl like... Earl is, is it the... We gotta, oh we gotta make you Earl Dittman. Do people know who Earl Dittman is anymore? I, just, I don't know why I pictured Eugene Levy, but that's Bonnie, Bobby Bittman. That's Bobby Bittman, but also <laughs> that is uh, Gene Shalit. It's kind ah. of a Eugene Levy look. I think Eugene yeah, Levy yeah, played yeah. Gene Shalit on a I sketch. I would be surprised. Uh, there was like a variety. There was like a Gene Shalit variety <laughs> show uh, where it was all these critics. And it was Dave Thomas. Uh, it was Joe Flaherty as Gene Siskel and Dave Thomas as Roger Ebert. <laughs> and they sang like anything you could do, I can do better or something like that. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's a good good concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know. It they sang Jeepers Creepers. I'm don't send in corrections. They they sang Jeepers Creepers. Where'd you get those peepers? <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, so other horror remakes we like. That are, Is that uh, where we're going? I don't know. I was just trying to like I don't, I, didn't, I didn't want to go down the road of me complaining about like I don't know if I want to see a bunch of new movies all the time anymore. Uh huh. I don't know. That's well. What's here's the, the point? Thing, number one. <laughs> here, here's what I'll say. I have crossed the Rubicon where instead of um instead of being the person who gets upset that. Hollywood will never, ever, ever go back to just making original films based on original screenplays anymore. Um, I've I used to be that guy, and I've already like accepted it, and have now just reached the point where I'm like, well, maybe they'll make a bunch of unfriended movies, and maybe they'll make, and maybe and maybe <laughs> you, like you love those things. I yeah. well, those movies are great, but also just like I, uh... it'll be interesting to see what the next. Uh, what the next Halloween movie looks like. It, it would be interesting to see how they do, what they do with Suspiria. Or the new Jordan Peele movie. I'm sure that'll be interesting. But that's not what I'm talking about. Well, I mean, about. I know, but I'm just, I mean, just like... There's always there's going like, to be independent films made for less than $20 million that... Or I don't know what kind okay, of budget Jordan yeah, Peele's getting. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hollywood's never going back to the way it was. Ever. There's not going to be a second new Hollywood thing where they're just like, oh, I guess we don't know. What, we should just let people do what they want. Like, no. It's never going back to that. It's always Disney's going to own everything and it's always going to be remakes or adaptations or reimaginings or reboots or sequels forever. And there is no escaping it. And there's a point where we're like, boy, it sure seems like there's a lot of those. And now it's just like, no, they're, we're done. It's, it's the same way where it's just like climate change. Like that's done. Like human race is done. Global warming. There will be no human race in 40 years. Like, <laughs> There's no there that's that's not getting reversed and it's the same with uh Hollywood and I've gotten to the point where I now get excited that they're making a new Suspiria because the idea of the guy who made call me by your name 
making a new Suspiria is so strange to me that I just want to see what it is. And it turns out it's good. But even if it was bad, I'd be like, huh, okay, yeah, let's go. Instead of just being mad that that guy can't, I mean, that guy did make other original films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, instead of just getting mad, uh, like I would in the past that like, why they don't need to make remake Suspiria, which they don't, but they did anyway. They're going to. So yeah, sometimes they're interesting and I can get behind that. Or sometimes just the the weight of a franchise is and how it transforms itself to try to stay relevant is interesting. And I can get behind that. I forgot who's doing like an Explorers remake, but I decided I don't need to get mad about that. Yeah. I mean, I do love Explorers and it's one of those movies I saw nine it's million probably times. probably that. Who's that dude who made your next who's terrible? Who's no, just failing it's upwards? Not. It's uh What's that guy's name? Adam I think, Wingard? I think it's the ghost story guy. It's probably Adam Wingard. D- David Lowery who did a ghost yeah, story. Yeah, that's right. David Lowery. I think so. And then maybe somebody else too. But it's like, why am I getting... I don't need to get mad about that. I don't need to be precious about it. It's, it is what it is. I mean, after the success of Stranger Things, of course they want to do something mm-hmm. along those lines, you know, time and time again. But I don't know. I'm not going to... When are they going to... Re- so I don't want to be forced I've, I've to watch crossed, more... I've done the, you know, universe brain, galaxy brain, whatever, that meme. Like, I've gotten to the point where I'm just like, oh, man, who's going to remake Jaws and how? It's going to happen because Steven Spielberg is going to be dead eventually. They got, Don't tell me there's going to be a remake of Jaws, dude, E.T., Prince, Prince Back had, to the Future. Prince has been dead, like, a year, and already they got his shit in credit card commercials. Like, there's nothing fucking sacred anywhere they're gonna remake jaws the question is how are they gonna do it i don't know if how i want they gonna the, remake I jaws i'm excited i want to see how they do it or fail well it's gonna be bad but the question is like they know there's all that expectation there so when they do remake jaws because they're gonna fucking remake jaws what are they gonna do to combat that it's the same thing with halloween where they're just like we need to make people know this is the real Halloween sequel. And this isn't like those other Halloween sequels. And it's like so overwhelmingly concerned with its own baggage that it can't just <laughs> tell a fucking single story. It has to tell every story. Yeah. And like, I can't wait to see what that Jaws looks like. It's going to be bad, but they're going to do a new Jaws. It's going to be after Spielberg's I dead. There's no okay, way anyone does it while Spielberg's yeah, still alive. But, but then they're going to do a new Jaws. No, 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 no. That's no. There, some things are sacred. You gotta surrender. You gotta surrender. There's nothing. Wasn't sacred. there a time when they were talking about a Casablanca remake with uh, with uh, J Lo and Ben Affleck? Oh, I they mean, could definitely remake Casablanca. That's not a question. Yeah, I don't know. I, those two would be terrible, but like they could remake Casablanca tomorrow. Mm. It's just no. There's. There's original material out there, people. There still is. Okay, there's, still, there's still screenwriters out there. This is what I'm there. talking about. This is where I used to be. Oh, God. You got to surrender. It's never going back to the way it was. You remember when you grew up and you just don't like, be see forced. a trailer? Remember when you would see a trailer and you think, fuck, that's a good idea for a story? It's never, ever happening again. But Charlie Kaufman's still out there. Paul Thomas Anderson's still out there. you're looking at Charlie Kaufman for originality. Like, he's going to keep making those fucking movies. Like, it's going to be another Charlie Kaufman movie. I'm not saying it's going to be bad. (laughs) I'm not saying it's going to be a fucking remake of... But they're at least original. Shop Around the Corner. I'm just saying you already know what you're getting out of a Charlie Kaufman movie. There's no surprise there. I don't know. Hmm... 
I want to be surprised. That's probably why I love Suspiria. I was surprised. And you should watch old films. Yes, I know I should watch more old films. <laughs> Back when you should not watch new Hollywood films. I don't want to be in multiplexes. I think that's the thing that's keeping me like a little bit apprehensive about doing the WGN thing because I'm like I might have to sit through the latest comic book movie. Yeah. To, just so I have something to say and be like, even if it sucks, I'm going to be like, well, guess, guess what? The latest Venom or whatever mm. sucks. Yeah. And that's it. Man, I mean, I'm seeing, how's that, how's me that on the other hand, to I'm Galaxy Brain. I get off work and I'm like, I'm going to go see that new A Star is Born. I'm going to see that new A Star <laughs> is Born. <laughs> like starting I don't want to I'm, I'm going to see that new Star is Born. I'm just saying like. What is what do they think a star is born means to people in 2018? Like that to me is the game I'm playing. Like I'm just so fascinated by what the fuck they even think they're doing that I gotta see. And it's, I liked it. I like the new Star Is Born. It's I'll fun. see it eventually. I'm, <laughs> it was like one of those things where I'm like, that eh, just looks like Crazy Heart with Jeff Bridges. I don't know. Maybe it's fine. There's some good stuff in that. I'm not. I'm yeah. I've always liked the Coops. Sam Elliott made me cry. Oh. Sam Elliott made me cry like three times when the newest <laughs> star is born. Oh, well then that's worth. There's seeing. a lot of bullshit. I'm not. I'm not saying the newest star is born is like a great film or anything like that. There's a lot of bullshit I hate about that newest star is born. But on the same on the same way, like, okay, star is born, great George Cukor movie, a very good William Wyler did the 30s version. Mm, I don't know maybe. 70s version. Who gives a fuck? Um, but. I don't have a strong... I'm not necessarily, like, a Star is Born, like, devotee. I was just curious, and it's fine. And I enjoyed I enjoyed my time watching it. I thought it was pretty good. Hell, I would still... Uh, but what about that new Jaws? Shut up! Yo! No! What is Quinn? What is Quinn? Because you know, oh, no, you know no, the no, thing. Because no. you know how studios think. Studios think, what does Halloween mean in 2018? Ah, it's a notorious crime. They have podcasts now. That's Put that, so on the board. Put that on the board. That was like something fucking Kevin Smith Where's would the do. Write it on the whiteboard. Here we go. Podcast. We're doing cereal. <laughs> cereal in our Halloween. You're it's like in the uh, movie. you're like uh, the, what Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins in the cabin of the woods. <laughs> I was I was thinking more uh, Jordan Peele in that Key and Peele sketch. Oh where yeah, writing yeah. Gremlins too. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. Just what like, else? Uh, me too. Me too. Me too. You mean you're talking about PTSD and a woman's gonna fight back against the traumatic <laughs> traumatizer? It's in the movie. Next up, uh, I think a neck a knife should just go through someone's throat. You're talking about crazy gore, seventeen thousand people getting murdered and just blood spraying everywhere in a movie that's trying to take its character seriously. You're a madman, and it's in the movie. No, that is that is absolutely how Halloween was written. No, and it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. I don't want to think about like a bunch this of is, guys in suits. This, by the way, is why I when I like I end my Suspiria thoughts with eh, I'm not going to tell you to go see it because what do I know? Is because I have just fucking surrendered to all of this and like yeah, having a strong opinion about like the 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 culture. Or the the medium, or what moves it forward, or whatever. It's like no, it's done. It's it's donezo. We're we're out of it. I haven't seen a, I haven't seen a movie that got me really excited this year. Like I saw a movie that was really really good in a way that I had seen other movies be really really good 
uh, in Blind yeah. Spotting. Blind Spotting, yeah. Uh, Angels Wear White is a fucking oh, I need to see that. Great one. movie. Yeah, I think a lot of people would call that a 2017 movie because it played festivals in 2017. But I'm no goddamn fucking fancy ass critic going to <laughs> Berlin Film Festival or whatever the fuck. <laughs> it played Chicago 2018. Damn it, Angels Wear White was good. Um, and then from there on, it's like. Sorry to bother you. Had its had its strengths. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. This has been a bad year for movies, man. I think so. I still loved Hereditary, but um, it's again like right place, right time, right yeah. feeling. Yeah. You know, just like a lot of dread. I've been feeling a lot of dread. <laughs> Relaxer. I think I think uh, Joel Petrakis is the most exciting filmmaker working today. I think Relaxer is probably the most exciting. I didn't think it was great. But it's like the most exciting film, I because Joel Petrakis was already making movies I liked and yeah. that were unlike other people's movies, and then this one is like, oh shit, Joel Petrakis got really, really, really fucking invested on how to use his camera and how to edit a movie. Game done, changed. Oh, <laughs> oh, Joel Petrakis making movies now. Sorry, did you see? I'm the being did you see the Alchemist hyper. cookbook, the one he did before? Uh, I saw part of it. Hmm. I was. Not so into it. I didn't. Okay. I didn't watch enough to give a proper opinion, really. But you, you know who needs to come back. Yeah. I know you're out there, Shane. Shane Carruth, come back. We need you. Shane Carruth is done. <laughs> no, I don't want to believe that. I think Shane Carruth. He's like, I, I'm going to go back to being an engineer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. What was the movie? What was the movie that he did? That the the kid from uh, Beautiful Boy and Call Me by Your Name was attached to. Uh, Timothy Chalamet. Uh, Timothy Chalamet was a, attached to the to the new Shane Carruth uh, script that was like. Oh really? He was? Huh? And it was like Ocean of Stars or something. Some the long, Modern Ocean. Modern Ocean, and he was like, it was the greatest script I'd ever read, and for a while it was going to happen, and now it's not going to happen. It's done, though. Shane Carruth, get out of there. Do something more interesting with your life. No. You own all the rights to Upstream Color. You could live off that Upstream Color money forever. That movie, <laughs> the movie plays on TBS every Saturday. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, I'm being really obnoxious and silly right now. I apologize. Modern masterpiece. Uh, That's the last one. That's the last one. Movie's peaked. It's over. It's over. But what are they going to do with Jaws? No. Do you think Matt Hooper is going to be like a fucking podcaster? (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Somebody's going to interview him about his time on the USS Indianapolis. (laughs) opens with that no and then it pulls back to reveal a fucking sure 185 or whatever the oh, fuck God. and he's just like <laughs> and they do that fucking dumbass <laughs> thing that podcasters always do in movies where they act like they're broadcasting live and they're not editing it later <sighs> fucking kevin smith's gonna do it isn't he kevin smith <laughs> jaws <laughs> finally no no, you know what? You know what movie I want to rewatch because I haven't seen it since I was uh, six. Hmm. Jaws two. Uh, I don't remember being horrible like the other two. I want to see Jaws two. I think I'd probably like that movie a lot. There's not a lot of seventy slasher movies, but I think Jaws two is hmm. a seventy slasher movie. Former guest of the podcast, Keith Gordon's in it. That's true. Yeah, huh. it's always nice. Um, uh, okay. Any any horror remakes? <laughs> I 
other than uh, what um, the rings okay I guess uh, they remade the ring yeah well I mean like you know oh Ringo yeah, 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 that was, yeah. I, I, I think it has moments it's definitely too long but I, I thought that was again some some really shocking moments in it uh, I like the 1960s version of the Phantom of the Opera. Ah, oh. the Hammer Phantom of the Opera. That's not true. I um, what? It's the same horror makes everyone talk about. It's the thing. It's the fly. The fly. Yeah, like what? I don't. I don't have that new shit. I do, I think the. I think the. I think the Black Christmas remake is better than the original Black Christmas. But like people don't agree and I don't think you listening to here like if you're hearing my voice and you're like oh shit I should really listen to the, I should really watch that Black Christmas remake then like no you're probably not gonna like it I just don't like the original that much and I think the remake is really interesting in some weird ways it looks like a Jean-Pierre GNA movie like it just has the camera floating around really? and wow. there's just Christmas lights everywhere so it's all just it's real dumb it's a real dumb movie and it opens has a great opening it's dumb uh, at one of rate, the Final Destination guys did it right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got that. It's got that classic X Files feel to it. Not really. Mm. Uh, they're skin cookies. It's good. Um, oh God. <laughs> uh, this guy got to eat eyeballs because he's. Jaundiced. I think we've talked about Last House on the Left being better than the original. In the yeah. Past. Um, I I I like uh the remake of what's the. Oh, I just left my brain. Fright Night was surprisingly okay. I couldn't get through it. It was okay. I, I my my love for the original is too strong. I couldn't cheat on him like that. And Let Me In, another one was pretty good, surprisingly. That's like the I mean a lot of people Funny Games remake where it's just like <laughs> <laughs> Funny Games remake. I think the Funny Games remake is better than the original. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, I like it's, the, an, I, it's, it's an a good English. cast. It's in English, so I can appreciate the acting more. Okay. That's all. That's literally all that means. Um, <laughs> well, oh, a good I, cast. There was literally something just on the tip of my tongue. I like the My Bloody Valentine remake. It's, oh, that's yeah. A, that's a fun, dumb slasher movie, especially if you can see it in 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, not the terrible, like, anaglyph 3D that they have on the DVD that doesn't really work, but if you can see a proper 3D My Bloody Valentine... Valentine, like in a theater. You know when they do those uh, midnight showings of My Bloody Valentine 3D that are so popular? (laughs) That's sweeping the nation. It's the new Speed Racer. Um, Yeah, that movie's fun. Uh, I like them all. I like every... (laughs) every Name one. The Fog? You don't love it. You don't like the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. You don't. That's great. I love it. No, you don't. Jackie O'Haley. Wonderful casting. Mm, No. Motherfucker looks like he's from the Dark Crystal or some shit. (laughs) Makeup's terrible. Um, No, I mean, the thing about remakes is they've just been happening forever. The Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera was a remake of an earlier Phantom of the Opera film. Yeah. Like... There's a 1919 or 1920 fan of the opera movie that's been lost, which 1925 (laughs) one that everyone knows is a remake of. So like, whatever. If it's a good, if it works, it works. It's all of these movies are just an excuse for you to jump a little bit and they can find new ways to make you to say boo and make you jump a little bit. That's fine. I don't Mm -hmm. care. (laughs) <laughs> like I'm surrender, surrendered to it like I don't I, I'm not gonna get angry what what movie could they possibly remake that would make me angry 
Upstream color? I want to see that <laughs> shit so bad. I want to see fucking... That would be too depressing, I what, think. Who would remake Upstream Color? Who would think, like, oh, I'm going to be the one to remake Upstream Color? Like, I could see, like, maybe Soderbergh gets a hair in his ass where he's just like, I've been watching Upstream Color a lot lately. And anyway, <laughs> here's my remake. I didn't tell Find anyone about it. Find on my website. It. I oh, you can download it, a, it into my app. <laughs> I shot it on a Game Boy camera. Like, <laughs> cool. Like, I want to see fucking... Who, I, I'm, I'm, I am itching for a new Body Snatchers. That's what I want. Yeah, we need a new one. Yeah. Invasion was good. They're all good. Oh, speaking of which, the guy who um, wrote Suspiria, the new one, mm-hmm. did the that was his first script was the Invasion. Just found that out. He he got better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he got better. I do. <laughs> By the way, though, the Invasion, another horror remake that is very political. The the best part about the Invasion, people hate that movie because it's a fucking mess and dumb. But the it, thing about that movie that is interesting is the aliens are right in it the aliens their first action once they take over everyone's bodies is just to undo all of george w bush's policies and just like fix all of our shit and every other invasion of the body snatchers movie the whole we'll be happier really like it never rings true for a second there's not even a oh maybe they have a point like it's always just a sort of it's just trying to scare you with conformity and like it's just trying to be like anti-communist propaganda or whatever Mm -hmm. but like in that movie it's the the it, the downer ending of the invasion is that the humans win, and they're like, "Oh fuck, we're humans. <laughs> we're humans!" They're really bummed out because they know in uh, they know in nine years they're going to elect Trump, and they're just like, "Fuck, yeah, oh, now we that fucked up. Be, yeah. We fucked up. We should have let the aliens take us over." Also, there's a lot of there's hope. There's so. a lot of queer material in the invasion as far as uh, passing goes that okay. I really like. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, yeah. New body snatchers always. Uh, what else can we always get more of? Mm. Like Earth versus the flying saucers. Like I know they did a sequel to Independence Day, but that's not what I mean. I mean, <laughs> aliens show up and it's up to Ra Ra America to fucking fuck oh, up the aliens. God. Like I, we need another one of those. Uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Get that Dark Universe back going. <laughs> Yo, what that Dark Universe do? It's going to be a Netflix series. <laughs> like, they turn, you know, the exorcist. That's, and- that's one of the best things about Hollywood now. Like, once you surrender to it and realize that it's all just bullshit now, like, you just get to sit back with the popcorn and be like, these motherfuckers are going to try to do the Universal Monsters again. No one's like the Universal Monsters. Like, Steven Summers accidentally made a movie that people liked, and that... Is mm. and then the time before that that people gave a fuck about the Universal Monsters was like Monster Squad. <laughs> Frank Langella's Dracula, like oh yeah, okay, yeah, uh, which is a bad movie, but people liked it. Uh, I don't think anyone liked Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. My mom does every like. I mean, every six months of, she'll be like, "Guess what? I'm watching again." I'm like what? <laughs> a lot of cinephiles like Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Mm. That's a that's a that's real fucking film nerd bait. That movie. Um, but I mean, in general, like audiences don't care about the mummy. What are you doing? Why? We don't want to see the Wolfman again. Why? Why are you dressing Benicio del Toro up like that? <laughs> <laughs> but they're gonna do it. They're gonna have to. What do you think they're gonna do when they bring back Friday the uh, Thirteenth? No, we don't. You we don't I think. need it anymore. <laughs> which is do you want to hear what I think about the new Friday the Thirteenth that they eventually do? Hmm. Jason's podcast. <laughs> No. 
Just every remake has a podcast. The Blob is a podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Blob's podcaster. <laughs> the Blobcast. The Blobcast. <laughs> it's got little headphones no. just floating in. <laughs> no, beats no. by Dre just floating. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> oh, the Blob just. Oh, Blob no. talks now, but what it says <laughs> is, we'll want to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. <laughs> Build it beautiful. Oh, no. No, no. Um, mm. You think they're going to make a new Blob? <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be down for that, I actually. I don't know. And by the they, I, by they I mean David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. <laughs> I would love to see David Gordon Green and Danny McBride make a new blob. They're exactly the people who should be making that. I can Just see that like working a out. Yeah, bunch yeah. of really vivid, fucking rural ass, yeah. weirdos uh, with a lot of just weird digressive humor. That's like, oh, why did I say it out loud? Because never, now it's never going to happen. But we gotta get, we gotta get Danny. Write McBride. him a letter. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta write them a letter. Out. Who's got their address? I know their roommates. Just give me their address. <laughs> let's let's get this going. All right. Why not? What 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 movie do you want to see next from uh, Luca? Guada Guadalajara. He's actually doing a. I, from what I hear, I think he's doing a sequel to Call Me by Your Name. Which I don't know okay. why. I, I mean, I don't know why necessarily. I well, love the after, way that movie ends. Yeah. I mean, after he does that, what it, what. It, because uh, the funny thing about this movie is that you don't see it coming from this guy. Like, if I, I, I was thinking, I was thinking, if anyone ends up remaking Suspiria, it's gonna be like Nicholas Winding Refn or something. That's gonna be, yeah. No, but no, 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 no. But like, so this guy has already proven he can do like a bunch of. Is there something like the Suspiria feeling, the Suspiria remake specifically feeling? Like, is there something you want to see that energy directed towards? Hmm. And you can't say something original because it won't happen. No, I'm kidding. Well, call me, <laughs> call me by your name is also an adaptation of a book. So, yeah. I, uh, for okay. all I know, a bigger splash and I am love are also they could be adaptations. That's a good question. Hmm. Uh, I don't know what I could see. Let's just remake some Argento movies. Why not? Let's okay. Just, let's remake our Inferno. Let's just, let's just you know, let's do go Tenebrae. And... Yeah, yeah. Why not? Okay. Make them make a little bit more, uh, yeah. you know, deep. You know, what I, <laughs> you know what I like? I like that no one's going to remake Lucio Fulci movies. So oh, that's like, true. I, no one's going to touch like, that. I can be blasé. I can be blasé about remake stuff because no one's going to remake The Beyond. That would actually hurt me. I would get real mad. I know I'm acting all cool, mm. too cool for it. Someone remade the Beyond. I'd get real mad. <laughs> um, what do you think they're gonna do when they finally, uh, when they finally reboot Final Destination? I don't know. What? What? Uh, they die by podcasting. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, it's a podcasters' convention. <laughs> Oh no! They get electrocuted by touching their mics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, okay. it, it would it would be worth it just to see like a big lighting rig fall on Jesse Thorne or something like that, like <laughs> just all the cameos that pop up. But no, uh, I don't know. Like it's Final Destination. They're gonna that's gonna come back. How do you feel about all the new uh, Child's Play movies? Have you watched them? Do you have an interest uh, in them? I mean, I don't know. I thought they were fine. 
Not nothing special. Just like, I mean, like even the first one, I was like, this is fine. I mean, it has some great moments. By but first one, you mean the first Child's Play? I think it's pretty good, but yeah. not like, you know, groundbreaking, amazing horror or anything like that. I certainly prefer Fright Night to it, but uh, just like the killer doll thing, I don't know. It's kind of played out. Yeah. Maybe one of these days I'll see Dead Silence. <laughs> like it's one of those things where I see it pop up on my streaming list. My, I'm like I find myself saying that too. I'm always like, yeah, maybe. I'm gonna watch Dead Silence one of these days. People seem to think <laughs> Dead Silence is alright, and I have a thing where I just wanna see every late nineties to mid aughts horror movie. Like that's a period of horror that I find fascinating. Sure. And I'm like, yeah, Dead Silence, one of these days. Not today though, because I watched the first twenty minutes and I go, No, oh, this is this is oh, bad. No. Because that's old James Wan, before James Wan was pretending he liked 70s movies and mm-hmm. was making The Conjuring and shit, when he was just like, you know, like the saw, sort of like super quick editing and really bad uh. post-production effects on everything, and there's like fake film grain and, ugh. No thanks. That's one of those That's one of those aesthetics. I'll come around to it eventually. I always come around. All the stuff I think I hate... Like, I, I kind of am coming around on Rob Zombie's Halloween movies. Like, I, I, I come around on it all, man. I got an open heart. I'm full of love. I don't know how somebody would get me to like Rob Zombie's movies at this point. Just pump me full of opiates. Well, or what if he made a Groucho Marx biopic? I would see it. I was I was relatively interested in, like, what, what, what the fuck would a Rob Zombie hockey movie be like? You know? Mm-hmm. Like, I was kind of like, okay... Uh, I'll see it, I guess. It would, it would be a lot of bad handheld coverage. That's, like it would just, it would look terrible. Yeah, and then what? His last movie just f- fucking was like this. Just confirms why I don't like this guy at all, and I don't understand the defense. And I see it on, you know, the Shockwave's message board that he's an amazing filmmaker, and I'm like, who are these people? What's happening? I don't. I just don't know. I don't. I can never do it. No one's ever going to convert me. Like to say, you know what, Rob Zombie, he's all right. You know it'd be fascinating. Someone could uh, compile all of the negative opinions ever expressed on the Shockwaves podcast. How long would that be? It would like be 20 a minutes? really interesting ten minutes. Yeah. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. They're like the they're like the Dave Grohl of horror. Rob Zombie. Well, Rob Zombie's everything. There wouldn't be Nirvana without Rob Zombie. <laughs> That's actually weirdly true because Kurt Gamain fucking loved early White Zombie. Really? Back when they were like a weird sort of post-hardcore noise band. Okay. Have you ever listened to like the first couple of rock White Zombie albums before they sort of discovered their no, no. like dirtbag Halloween groove metal thing? Like it's re- it's it sounds like Bleach. Like huh. there's like a lot of there's a lot of fucking White Zombie in on Bleach. He kind of strained all that out. There's not much white zombie in uh, on Nevermind, but if you listen to Bleach and then you listen to uh, I can't remember those Psycho Head Blowout whatever, like you listen to those back to back, you're like, oh yeah, no, I fucking see it. Interesting. Never would have thought that. Yeah, I I personally I like Rob Zombie's first solo album. I like White Zombie's last two albums the mm-hmm. most. But you go back, you listen to those old White Zombies. They're the reason that Nirvana exists. <laughs> <sighs> I think we've come full circle, right? We actually have. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I got really just obnoxious and uh, That's funny. Hyper. It's like I never find it to be obnoxious. Yeah. You know? I, I think there's some people who turned it off and they're like, oh, that's right. That's why I didn't listen to these people. That's why I don't like these people. But that's fine. okay. For those of us still sticking with us, I hope you like this. The whole reason we did this, right, is because someone someone bothered you until you 
Well, I think it was just about the Halloween. Like, um, somebody sent an email to Directors Club Podcast at gmail.com. They were just badgering you about. Not just, not me. I think it was just like. Oh, that's right. They sent me an email too. They were like requesting, uh, hey, can you, you know what, for as a Halloween treat, can Mm -hmm. you guys come back and just talk about the new Halloween? So go ahead and listen to this on Halloween 2019. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why not? Uh, It was, you know, it was fun and I. I, I really enjoyed talking with you again and talking horror and talking uh, about why movies suck today. And, you know, maybe every once in a while we get a gem. Once in a while. Certainly, no, I agree with you that this year has been pretty weak. Um, People should see Blind Spotting, though. Yeah, no, definitely. That movie's really good. It's really, really good. Yeah. Stuff definitely in my top five. Relaxer, support the girls. Oh, support the girls. I need to watch that again. You know, it's underrated. I'm going to say this, and just me saying this is going to make it overrated for some people, because the reason it was underrated for me was because I went in with no expectations. It's one of those things. It's the backlash against the backlash of people saying, oh, this isn't so good. Like, Quiet Place, I think it was one of those movies where the first round of people who saw it said it was amazing. The second round people saw it said it was terrible because it wasn't amazing. And then the third round people said, yeah, it's fine. It's good. Um, (laughs) I still need to see Quiet Place. Hellfest. Yeah, you talked about that with me before. Man, yeah. Hellfest. If you want, if you want, fucking the best slasher movie of 2018 is not Halloween. It is Hellfest. A better, and it's a better Halloween movie. Certainly better than Unfriended. Dark when Web. I say a better Halloween movie, I don't mean a better <laughs> entry in the Halloween franchise. I mean a better movie about the spooky feelings of Halloween. Okay. Like I will, I'm gonna when Hellfest comes out on Blu-ray, I'm buying that shit, and I'm gonna probably gonna watch it like a yearly. Is it anything like Funhouse? It is a lot like Funhouse, okay. Um, except it's see, I could see that. Except being it's remade. more colorful, and it's yeah. yeah. I think if they remade Funhouse, it would just basically be Hellfest. Um, Although I gotta say, I, I watched House, House on Haunted Hill. That remake isn't very good at all. I don't know. It was pretty. I mean, like Jeffrey Rush is fine in it, but Famke Jansen. Yeah. Famke Jansen, though. It was like, the yeah, that was like, what, it came out probably the same year as The Faculty, maybe? Probably. Yeah. So it felt The Jansen years. (laughs) (laughs) That glorious three-year period where Famke Jansen was making movies. Yeah. Just like, I don't know. But but because she was in GoldenEye, it's like, no. Oh, we remember. We remember you, Famke. I hope you're happy now, whatever you're doing. What if you're inventing a new kind of shortwave radio, whatever it is. I hope you're I hope you're living a happy and joyous life. Because yo, Famke Jansen. The ten? She was in the ten, David Wayne. Oh, that's right, yeah. I, w- I would be down for any Clive Barker movie to be remade, to be honest. Yeah? Like, even Hellraiser, which I like. What are I they like. going to do with Hellraiser? Because they just keep cranking out those direct-to-video sequels <laughs> that are get worse and worse. Yeah. Eventually, someone's going to realize that Hellraiser is a name that is worth something, and they're going to wrestle the rights away from Dimension or whoever the fuck owns it at this point, and they're going to be like... They should. Do a proper Hellraiser sequel. I'll do pretty much any movie based on a, book of, a story from Books of Blood I'll, I'll watch. Yeah. They're not all good. I'm not saying Rawhead Rex is some undiscovered gem. This isn't the Shockwaves <laughs> podcast, but uh, I will watch it. There's that one where the the woman's body expands and just like totally encompasses Ooh. the man. What is that? What is that yeah. story? That is so good. That, bu- that, that book. You should get the books of blood. I should reread those. Yeah. yeah. For uh, sure. I mean, one remake that I know for sure is coming out next year 
uh, with uh, speaking of upstream color, Amy Simetz, Pet Cemetery okay. with John Lithgow. Sure, Stephen a, King. They're going to start doing. So what? The last carry they did was like 2013. They're not going to do that again so soon. I don't think. Like. So I, let's see. I would guess Tommy probably, knockers. They should do 2020. We're going to get a new carry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like every, what, seven years we get a new How about we get a new, story. how about we get a new Carrie 2? How about we get a new love The, the Rage, Rage Carrie 2? Yeah. What is Zachary Ty Bryan doing right now? <laughs> yeah, whatever I, happened you to know, her. You know the problem, you know the problem with this world? Mm, there's a lot, but go ahead. There is a finite number of, like, goth kid horror movies from the late 90s. And then once you've seen them all, you've seen them all. It's true. There's like a few a few of them I haven't seen because I don't want to run out. But like at some point I'm gonna pull the trigger on watching Stigmata and I'm gonna be out of oh, late nineties goth kid horror movies. And I'm really bummed about that. Hmm. Like the rage, I've already seen the rage. I've already seen the craft. I've already seen Ginger Snaps. And you could see Soul Survivors, which is like the goth kids, um, if they did Jacob's Ladder. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's, Fuck. it's so bad. Fuck, I gotta see that. No, oh, Jim, no, you, you just don't. gave me a gift. You gave me a new goth <laughs> kid late 90s horror movie. What? The Blair Witch 2. Oh, boy. Well. Um, uh, Idle Hands? No, not Idle Hands. So anyway, there's a finite number of movies that make me feel like I'm a 14-year-old goth girl in 1998, and though that's a very valuable feeling for me. Yeah, I can understand that. I part did. of part of me is like I should have just turned into Stokely. I should have. Yeah. Right. You know, I would have been. Why happy. not? Yeah. I, I had a goth day today at my store, where mm-hmm. I, the cafe, the coffee shop where I work. I get to choose the music, so I burned myself. Disintegration by Cure. Oh. Followed it up with Treasure by Cocteau Twins. Followed it up with Hounds of Love by Kate Bush. I had a real goth day. It was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Um, I did. Smoke I some did. Cigarettes. And- <laughs> <laughs> I'll be right back. Patchouli. I'm gonna go loiter in the alley. Um, I I did like troll eBay for see what used copies of Stigmata were going for. My 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 ex girlfriend really likes Stigmata. Yeah. And I was like. I don't think it's very good, but it's terrible. But I liked it anyway, somewhat. I don't know. Was the the the, the Covenant? That's that Rennie Harlan boy witch, oh, like super sexy, kind of like Twilight pre Twilight, but it's with boys, and it's it's just like this gay fantasia of fucking Abercrombie and Fitch models doing magic spells at each other. It's real yeah. good. There need to be like 17 more I still of need to movies. see the skulls because I like Joshua Jackson. Yeah, secret, secret crush on Joshua Jackson. Why not, why not watch like late 90s heartthrob version of The Firm? Oh no! That's what, that's that, what movie, that is. That's what that movie is. Oh man! It's a it's a it's a it's a frat instead of a uh, okay okay or it's a secret society, but it's basically like a frat instead of a law firm. But yeah, I like movies about cults mm. and secret societies. Yeah. Okay. Like Suspiria. Yeah, clearly. I Very like, good. I like that. The, I like that. The witches who didn't pledge their loyalty to Marcos survived, and they can sort of pick up the pieces. Yeah, I like that too. I like that too. I thought I, it was just going to be like a total bloodbath and and it and it was, but there's like a weird uh there's a weird sort of sense of morality too. 
this uh, Mother Suspirium character. Yeah. And not I kill, like the and not cut of her the jib. Doctor. Huh? I like the cut of her jib. I was going to say, what's that? <laughs> oh yeah, not killing the doctor. Yeah, I like, um, I like that choice because but I, he that was forget, set. but he doesn't have the memory of his wife anymore, which is maybe a worse fate. Yeah, you're maybe right. I don't know. I don't know how I land on it, but I, I we gotta go. So we gotta go. And thank you, Patrick, for being on <clears throat> this amalgam. Voices and Visions Directors Club podcast episode bonus spectacular horror remake review show. Yeah. 2018 in the house. Absolutely. Almost out. Almost out of the house. We're almost done with this fucking year. Yeah. On to the next one. Are we going to do a best of 2018 episode? Maybe? It would I mean, be a bad one. I mean, <laughs> unless something drastic changes in the next six weeks, like... This is not a year worth writing home about. Movies that I'm giving three stars on Letterboxd are still in my top ten. Like, yeah, maybe we'll just put we'll just make it a maybe for now. Yeah, we'll see. Like, I think Unsane is still in my top ten, and I didn't like that movie. That I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it as well, but like that's I'm yeah. not gonna rave about Unsane. I think A Star Is Born might be in my top ten. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's some good ones maybe on the horizon. The if Beale Street could talk, the new Barry Jenkins movie. We'll uh, see. Uh, maybe Widows is good. I'm sure it's at least good. I don't know if it'll. That's true. I wanted to see know. Widows. Yeah, there's some there's some hopefuls out there still. I think. Wasn't that Suspiria remake coming out? Yeah, I heard I heard that 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 looked interesting. I think it could be. Yeah, we should go see that Suspiria remake. Yeah. And if you have if you have hearing problems, I understand. It's hard to go through life acknowledging your problems sometimes and it, you can sort of fake through it by just pretending like you understand people and you nod when you didn't hear a fucking word and you just sort of fake your way through it. But if you think you your theater going experience might be benefited by one of those accessibility devices, see what the theater has to offer cuz it fucking rules and it made that movie way better for me than it was. Because I was ready to be like, yo, fuck this movie. I hate it. When I didn't understand half the words. <laughs> Turns out when you can follow the story, it helps. Yeah. Well, even when we saw The Master at the music box, I didn't really love it yeah. until saw it at home. Yeah. That's a, well, that's a, that's also like, that's a 70 millimeter print. So that's not going to have the sync. Yeah. Closed captioning or whatever. But uh, also like that's a movie. That doesn't that's have a, a movie. That's a movie that doesn't have a great script. So that's also going to hurt. Uh- I'm going to go ahead and say right now, Suspiria remake better than The Master. Mm. Better than The Phantom mm. Thread. No, 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 don't, don't. It did don't, remind don't me of PTA a little bit. That's probably why I loved it. <laughs> Didn't It felt sort of like if PTA if, remade, if PTA remade Suspiria, it wouldn't be as coherent for one. It would be like, you. we wouldn't walk out saying, oh, it's about fascism. We'd walk out going, oh, it's definitely, it's smart. It's about something. I couldn't quite, maybe it's. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing. <laughs> When it's not like all, you know. But I think a PTA the, uh, Suspiria. Ooh, you are angry. really just punching your computer I keep right now. Michael Myers and Bohemian Raps. <laughs> <laughs> this is so stupid. It made me so mad. And then and I, I thought it. I thought it was really taking it too far when then the camera panned over to Dana Carvey wearing all Reebok, and he goes, "It's just like some people will cameo in anything for money, and that's a real shame." <laughs> I don't think nothing made me as mad as. Uh, you know, that in Bohemian Rhapsody, and then Gus Van Sant in uh, the Psycho remake <laughs> using the Trent Reznor closer video. 
I feel like that's the thing that's always I'm gonna be known for. Yeah. Like on this podcast, it's like the guy who can't stand that choice. Yeah. Psycho remake sucks. If we're talking about horror <laughs> remakes, Psycho remake is one of the better ones to exist because it's not better in terms of better movie, but better in okay. terms of like. I'm glad the Psycho remake exists because that is a thing that's an insane thing to exist. Whereas, like, when they remade John Carpenter's The Thing, it was like, ah, who gives a fuck? Yeah. Or The Fog, or what? Christine. No, they haven't made a remake, Christine. Surprisingly. Okay, thank you, Patrick, for being on the he's, show. He's restoring. He's not restoring a car anymore. He's restoring a soundboard for Isn't his podcast. That said that, though? I mean, that's why I was thinking of oh, it, because okay. you're wearing that Christine shirt. Yeah. Thanks, Patrick. Bye. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob.